Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Junior. Hey, Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. I'm Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. This is Gabriel Landeskog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers. Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltager. Carter Hart of the Everett Silvertips. This is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfire. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Moosehead. NCAA. Hey, it's Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. It's Alex Turcotte. Hey, it's Gail McCarver. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Connor. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College. The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from uh, Team Russia. Hey, it's Joel Farabee from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany. I'm Philip Broberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellie Paul Lennon. Hey, it's Nikolai Ehlers. It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Edwards of Team Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Hi, it's Gordon Bicer from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Zeri from the Camelot Blazers. I'm Alexander Holtz. I'm Lucas Freeman. Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, it's Jake Sanderson. I play for Team USA. Brady Schneider, Katie Dooley. Here's Marco Rossi. I'm from the other sound. And more. Excellent! This is the Pipeline Show. The 2021 NHL Draft gets ever closer, and it is time to pick the brains of the scouts. This is the Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. My name is Guy Flaming. Welcome to the program, everybody. If you are a returning listener, then welcome back. If you're a newcomer, then I hope you'll be back for more after you hear this week's episode, and I would think next week's episode as well. A lot of casual NHL fans tuning into the show these days as uh, they want to get some information about the NHL draft. And that's what the next couple of weeks is all about, obviously. Well, even three weeks, to be honest with you. But two very big shows to lead into the draft, and then we'll have uh, sort of a a draft recap the week after as well. And that will be the end of Season 16 here of the program, Season 17 starting a couple of weeks after that. But let's get right to it, and we'll start with a uh, question that I just put up on Twitter just mere moments ago, so not a whole lot of feedback on it just yet, but if you want to uh, take a look at it, it's on Twitter, at TPS underscore Guy, the question of the week. How many goaltenders will be selected during the first round of the 2021 NHL draft, and who are they? Zero, one, two, or three? It's a poll question. Uh, Right now, two is running away with it at uh, just under 65%. About 30% have uh, decided only one goaltender will be chosen. And a very small percentage suggests that no goaltenders will be chosen. So far, there may only be one or two votes for it, but uh, three goaltenders not getting a lot of uh, respect, I guess, is a good word for it. Not many people think that there'll be three goalies taken in the first round. I personally don't think there'll be three goalies taken either, but I thought it would be interesting to put this question out there considering uh, the show today, and we'll get to that in a little while. But I mentioned Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It is the best beef jerky in all of Alberta, and they are the title sponsor of the Pipeline Show. It is fantastic. I'm going on holidays here in a couple of weeks, and I know I've got to get out there and uh, grab another couple of pounds to take on the trip. As What's better than beef jerky while you're camping? That's fantastic. It just goes hand in hand. So if you're like me and you're in this area, you can go to Leduc or Spruce Grove. But if you're not in the area and you're still in Western Canada, you can contact either location and they will ship your order to you. You cannot get it at your local convenience store because it is not um, 
packaged and sent to a, a, a warehouse and stored for a couple of months or anything like that. This is absolutely fresh stuff. Marinated, seasoned, smoked, and jerkified. Absolutely fantastic. That's Wilhawk Beef Jerky. Not a whole lot of news and notes to share. A couple of uh, coaching vacancies uh, coming up here in the Western Hockey League as Mitch Love has been uh, signed by the, I believe it was the Calgary Flames. I'm trying to find the article at the moment. Yes, it is. He will be with the Stockton Heat for this coming season. So like uh, Ryan Huska a few years, uh, well, boy, that must be almost 10 years ago now, the Calgary Flames going to the WHL for their coaches as well. So great to see Mitch Love had a terrific uh, tenure as coach in Saskatoon as well uh, before that uh, with the Everett Silvertips. He is now gone to the American Hockey League to uh, coach for the Calgary Flames. Also in uh, the WHL, Kelly Buckberger's tenure as the head coach of the Tri-City Americans has come to an end after three seasons, his contract not being renewed. So we'll see what both of those clubs do for new bench bosses uh, on their uh, respective teams. Several coach announcements in the Ontario Hockey League as well. The Kinks and Frontenacs uh, promoted Luca Caputi to become their new head coach. Craig Duncanson is now the head coach of the Sudbury Wolves. Todd Miller is the new head coach for the Oshawa Generals and Jay McKee moves to the bench of the Hamilton Bulldogs. So lots of uh, new coaches in the Ontario Hockey League. Locally, uh, excitement is growing for the return of the AJHL, including a new team this year with the uh, Black Falls Bulldogs. They're just north of Red Deer. Training camps get going in uh, just over a month away from now, in August 20th, with the exhibition season beginning on the 27th. You're going to play a 60-game schedule. Uh, and in case you're curious, Black Falls is going to be playing in the uh, the South Division, even though they're just north of Red Deer. More teams in the North, so they will be joining Brooks and Calgary and Camrose and Canmore and Drumheller, Okotoks and Olds in the uh, Viterra South Division. That brings balance back to the AJHL, though. Eight teams in both divisions. The news out of the NCAA this week, well, remember Robert Morris, they suspended both of their uh, teams, actually not suspended, but... They just wiped out their men's and women's hockey programs. Now a lawsuit to bring those teams back. Uh, Looking at the story that is on uh, College Hockey News right now, just skimming it, but I don't see if their uh, intention is to uh, bring them back for this coming season, which starts in a couple of months or not. I would hope that's the case because there's uh, still a lot of players and and the coaching staffs who are in a a tough spot right now. So for the benefit of uh, the players and the coaches, Uh, I hope that works out for them. Keep up to date on your College Hockey News uh, with collegehockeynews.com or at at uscho.com as well. Both outlets uh, are watching that story develop. And that's pretty much it for the news and notes right now. So let's get to the guest list. And, of course, all of my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. The tap room in Red Deer is open. But uh, if you are those who maybe can't get into Red Deer just on a whim, You can get Troubled Monk delivered right to your door, absolutely free of charge, as long as you order online and you use promo code PIPELINE. Go to troubledmonk.com slash shop and enter the promo code PIPELINE as you put your order together. There you'll also see all the uh, delicious variety of beverages that you have to choose from. Of course, there's the variety of craft beer, but it's craft beverages as they do iced tea and they have the adequate vodka, soda, lemon, lime, and the gin and soda a handful of liqueurs as well, Saskatoon liqueur, the Epitaph Blue Gin. The Christmas Gin isn't out yet, but uh, keep your eye open for that because it's terrific. 
and a variety of soda at the bottom as well, root beer, ginger ale, uh, orange soda, and the Saskatoon soda. Uh, so there's lots to choose from. Whenever I place my order, I always get a couple of uh, taster packs as well. I like variety, and uh, to go with that beef jerky from Wilhock Beef Jerky on the camping trip, that'll be great. So get in touch with Troubled Monk and uh, place your order. Make sure you remember to put Pipeline as your promo code. And if you live between Calgary and St. Albert, including Sherwood Park and Edmonton and Leduc and uh, Airdrie, Carstairs, Olds, all the towns in between, that delivery right to your door will be free. All right, today's guest list, well, th- these are fun shows to put together. Absolutely one of my favorite uh, times of the year. Basically started this last year as we got close to the draft. I invite scouts onto the program and basically I give them this as the, as the guideline. I want to know six guys that you or your outlet that you represent have ranked higher than the consensus, why that would be, and then I want one guy that you like, but probably not as much as most people or most publications do, and why that might be. And got a lot of uh, replies right away. Yep, coming on the show, great to be back again. And so we're going to break it up. We're going to have five guys this week and five guys next week. Lots of different outlets are going to be represented, and this is the way it's uh, breaking down today. McKean's Hockey, it will be represented by Ryan Wagman. We'll start with him and get to know six of his personal favorites. Actually, he is. Uh, he came in it and said, you know what, this is for McKean's. There's a couple of my guys here, but uh, from the rest of the staff, these are some of our personal favorites as well. So that's the way he did it. We'll go from uh, McKean's to Sportsnet. Sam Cosentino, obviously the guy there, and a terrific rundown of uh, some of his personal favorites. And from the conversation with Sam, we have Chris Peters from Hockey Sense, good friend of the show. You've heard him here quite often over the last decade or so. After Chris, we'll go to Tony Ferrari from Dauber Prospects, Dauber Hockey. And we will end it with uh, Mitch Brown from Elite Prospects. And I think the most interesting thing about these conversations is the crossover that happens sometimes. There are players that will appear on some guy's personal favorites list who also appear on other guys' eh, not-so-much list, and they have some concerns about that guy. So that's very interesting, and uh, you will hear that uh, a time or two in this week's episode. Next week's episode will be more of the same as, as this week, uh, different scouts, obviously, but the same sort of format, and that will lead us into the 2021 NHL Draft. Post-draft, there'll be an episode that comes out, might not be a you know an hour-and-a-half-long episode, but it will be a, a wrap-up of the draft itself, We'll get one guest or maybe two guests to kind of recap it with me. And then that will be it for season 16 of the Pipeline Show. Well, let's kick it off. And Ryan Wagman from McKean's Hockey, he is up first here on the 2021 NHL Draft Scouts episode here on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. No sleep till! Bend off the wall, falling there was Longo as... Uh... He couldn't stop that rush on the right side. Goodberg walks in, hands it up in front. Matt Sogard making a nice read there and stretched out those long legs. Hey, it's Matt Sogard from the Medicine Hat Tigers, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Passion. Talent. Development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Colton Pareko. Score! And Pat 
Patrick Sharp. We're stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I think I'm getting the black lung, Bob. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show, and let's begin the big uh, countdown to the draft. Well, I guess we've kind of been doing it all season with all the players, but now we got the scouts, and uh, we're going to start it off with uh, Ryan Wagman from uh, McKean's Hockey. Uh, Ryan, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm very good, Gee. Thanks for having me on. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, always excited at this time of year as we get closer and closer to the draft. And what I've done is I've uh, I've asked you to give me six guys that you or you representing McKean's, uh, whether it's your personal list or uh, representing the entire outlet, six guys that you think uh, you guys might like more than the the consensus out there uh, and why that might be. And then uh, we'll get to one player that you like, but maybe not as much as everybody else seems to. Uh, we got lots of ground that we're going to cover. I should mention Wilhock Beef Jerky, the title sponsor of the Pipeline Show. It's the best beef jerky in Alberta. They'll ship it to you anywhere in Western Canada if you contact either of their two locations in Alberta. All right, let's get to it, Ryan. Who is the first guy, when when I mention that, the, the, the criteria of our conversation, who's the first guy that comes to mind? Who do you like that you think you probably like more than most people do? So I'll preface this by saying, you know, I, I did kind of reach out to the team at McKean because this year being a much weirder, more condensed year, I didn't get to uh, cross scout as much as I normally would. Um, I was more limited to, I guess, the under 18s and a bit of the world juniors, just because there was so much hockey in such a small period of time, mm-hmm. I could only see so much of it. Um, but I'll kind of go based on, I guess, how we, uh, how we rank them in our, uh, in our guidebook, which was just released last week. Uh, going from our highest ranked guy on in this uh, group of six to the lowest ranked. All right. And so that starts with our number 13 prospect, Logan Stankoven. I hope I pronounced that right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think when we look at Stankoven, I mean, the obvious question is, is, you know, is, is he the next Debrinket slash Caulfield type or is he just a small guy? And, and I think it's more likely that he's, you know, the next in line to Debrinket Caulfield than he's, uh, I don't know, um, uh, you know, just just another small guy who doesn't make it. I mean, there's a lot to like about his game. Um, <clears throat> he's quick. He's hard-nosed. He's got a low center of gravity and good edge work. So, and he's a, he's a very good skater. Um, you know, he's he's not easy. He's not as easy to knock uh, off his feet as as another guy that size might be. Um, he attacks the greasy areas. He does not play a perimeter game. Mm. You know, he's shown that he can fight through the defense, the high danger spots, uh, makes things happen. You know, he's he's got a great like near, near elite shot, one of the better shots, uh, like a pure shot uh, in this draft class. You know, he can score both from a distance or from in tight. And as I already said, he likes to get in tight. You know, he's going he's gonna to try to make something happen, make, you know, make plays. Um, he anticipates the game. He's not a reactive player, but he kind of, you know, he's one step ahead. Um, he's played both center and on the wing. I, I, my understanding, he was more uh, down the middle with Cam Loops, uh, but when I watched him in the under 18, he was playing more on the wing. I do think his game lends itself well to playing as a winger at the higher, higher levels. Um, you know, but the fact that he has played at center kind of does indicate his, um, his coach is trusting him as kind of a two way player. Centers are often given more uh, back checking uh, duties and, and back checking is something you see that he, you know, he, he works hard at both ends of the ice. He's somebody who's trying to make something happen, not just in the offensive zone where, you know, some, the, the result could be a goal, 
but in his own end as well. Um, you know, and I think if there is a team that still avoids him in the first round just because of his size, mm-hmm. like, have you learned nothing in the mm-hmm. last five years? Yeah. You know, the, the game is changing. He's not, he's not like five foot two, you know, um, he, he's, not, he's strong. He's, he's not, he's not scrimpy. He's just, he's short and you can succeed really, really well in the NHL without height. You know, if you have these other elements to his game and he does, you know, his skating is very, very impressive. I mentioned the shot, everything else about his game is, is, you know, above average, notably above average for the level of play that he's at. I don't have any doubts that he can make it happen. I don't think he is. I don't think he's a Cole Caulfield type. It's not really his game. Debrink is probably closer to what he is. I don't know that he's going to do quite the, the uh, success that Debrink has had, but I, I see a guy who can score goals and I think he can continue to do that at the higher levels. Um, you know, whether it's, if it's only 20 to 25 goals instead of 35 to 40 goals, that's still worth a first round pick in my, yeah. in my view. Yeah. There's lots of little guys now in the league. Rock Grimaldi is another one that comes to mind as a guy. I think he went in the second round. So did Debrinkit, as you mentioned. Um, and you're right. I think uh, people have started to wise up to it now. I mean, you don't have to look past Braden Point to see another not six foot, you know, 210 pound guy exactly. that is able exactly. to contribute in a big way. So yeah, Logan Stankoven, big fan uh, myself. So glad to see him uh, on that list uh, for you. Uh, next guy is Jack Peart, who uh, played for the Fargo Force, had him on the show about three, four weeks ago. Uh, and Now, what sort of an impact did he make on you this season? Well, I guess we're skipping somebody in terms of the numbers, but that's okay. So oh, Peart, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a big fan of Peart. No, that's okay. That's okay. Um, so Peart we have ranked at um, 23. Um, and now normally, and, and this is going to come up later in our discussion, but normally when a guy spends a lot of his draft year playing high school hockey, mm-hmm. I get a little nervous, you know, that, that tells me, I believe firmly that you know, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And if you're really good and you're playing amongst players who are not at your level and you can play at a higher level, you're not doing yourself any favors. Now, you know, I mean, he didn't do badly at high school. He was named Mr. Hockey for Minnesota, which is a, a pretty big honor. That's kind of like the MVP of the high school ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not, we don't rank him as a first rounder because of what he did in high school. We rank him there because of what he did with Fargo. Um, I got a chance to see him a number of times with Fargo, um, especially because uh, they ended up, I, I live in Chicago. They ended up playing the steel, uh, at, you know, in the, uh, the USHL finals, the right. Park Cup finals. And I got to see him up close uh, a few times at the end of the year. And I mean, he just, he's just incredibly impressive, you know, earlier on in the year. And I didn't travel as much this year as I normally would getting to see, you know, a lot of teams in the, uh, the Western conference of the league um, relied more on video. But before I was getting ready to start uh, like video watching the, um, the Western conference, I would ask some scouts that I knew, you know, who are guys that, that, you know, you think I should pay more attention to. And the first guy that everybody said, peer, 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 hmm. um, he, you know, and he's not, he's not somebody he doesn't jump out at the, uh, uh, doesn't jump out at you with like crazy skills or, you know, flashy moves, great skating, great points. It's, it's just everything he does is the right decision. Um, you know, he reads the play incredibly. He's got amazing poise You know, he doesn't do anything, uh, you know, until he actually absolutely has to, right. He doesn't do anything rashly. Um, he's pushing the puck in the right direction at all times. Uh, you know, the poise goes with and without the puck. He doesn't rush any plays. He's a smooth skater, not like blazing fast. He's got a very good first few steps. And, uh, you know, and he keeps like a decent pace throughout his, uh, 
I guess his maneuverings up and down the ice. Um, so he can lead the rush, although I don't think that's his, his style so much. Um, he's just more of a puck mover. Um, you know, gets the puck in the right direction, gets it to somebody who can do more with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's got, he's not huge. And we're not talking Stankoven small. He, he's uh, 5'11 in the 180s right now, uh, at least per uh, elite prospects. Um, you know, but he's got, he's got good lower body strength. He's very well balanced, so he can kind of play a physical game. Um, you know, he can, you know, without being intimidating with it, he, he can, he'll handle what he needs to handle, like in front of his own crease or, um, you know, dealing with back check, dealing with, uh, the forecheck rather. Um, but mostly with Pierre, I mean, I just, I was so impressed with the way, how, how quickly he acclimated himself to play going from high school to the USHL. And a lot of guys can't make that switch. And he did, you know, his game wasn't the same as what he played in high school. He played a more, um, kind of, you know, more of a backbone game in, in the USHL as opposed to kind of being front and center like he was with uh, Grand Rapids High School. Um, but it worked, and he took Fargo. And Fargo was not expected to be in the, um, the Cup Finals. They were a good team, but they were not, I don't think they were the class of the West. And he was a big, big part of the reason why they got to the, um, to the USHL Finals, and he was just fantastic there. Um, I really think he's going to be a quick study in college. And I could see him, you know, after within two years uh, going pro and, and not being long to, for him to go from, you know, signing a contract to playing a regular role uh, in the NHL. Um, you know, not, not, you know, not the big score from the blue line. He's not your Kel McCarr, Quinn Hughes type that everybody wants now, or Adam Fox. But I see him as a good, really good uh, puck moving kind of second pairing guy that makes your team a lot better. All right, and I liked what you said about how he that that quick transition from high school to the USHL level. And actually, he starts in Fargo, then goes back to high school for the season, and then comes back again to Fargo. Uh, so he, you know, he kind of went back and forth. Ended up uh, almost a point per game guy in the playoffs for the Force. So yeah, pretty darn impressive. He was. Him. It reminded me a little bit of how um, Riley Walsh uh, handled his draft year. Like he started the year with the Steel, then went back to. Um, I think it was Kimball Union in uh, New Hampshire uh, prep school. Mm-hmm. Uh, played, I guess, the winter year there. Then came back to Chicago. And he was better when he came back, and he, you know, picked up right where he left off, but at a higher level. I think he was only drafted in the third round, if I'm not mistaken. But I think if the draft goes again today, he'd be drafted a fair bit higher. I uh, was great in Harvard, and uh, I think you know Walsh is going to be a good pro too. Pro too. But Pierce a bit of a different player. You know, just the way um, he, he's just he, he's kind of solid. He does everything that you want him to do. And, and a little bit more. Excellent. Uh, now, that was Jack Peart, who you have at 23. Now, you're right. I did skip one of the guys that you uh, wanted to talk about uh, who comes in at uh, a, a very high 14, and he's from Sweden. Might not be the Swede a lot of people are thinking of, though. Uh, who is it and why? Simon Robertson. So, um, you know, there's always guys that we, we fear, you know, at the end, after the draft comes out, like, geez, was he a bit too high there? And maybe he was. Maybe Robertson should be more like uh, a high team, but still... I, I think um, there, there's a really good player here who might be masked a little bit by numbers that weren't that don't jump off the page as well. You know, Sweden. I mean, the whole world had a weird year this year, and mm-hmm. Sweden was no exception to that. Um, and so, notably in Sweden, you know, the year I think they started, uh, they, they tried to start the year normally with all the leagues running the way they normally would, but um, I believe it was in December or January where they had they realized they had to close down, they had to kind of minimize. Um, sport essentially, and they shut down the junior leagues. And so, a lot of the more high-end Swedish players, <clears throat> um, you know, younger Swedish players, moved from the uh, the J20 league 
to, if not the SHL, then the All-Svenskin or even the third tier. And, and so Robertson was one of those guys who had to make the jump, was forced to make the jump from junior hockey to the SHL probably before he was ready. Hmm. I, I think it's reasonable to say he wasn't really ready. And I think the coaches there also agreed with that because, I mean, a lot of times he'd be playing, you know, seven, ten shifts a game, you know, four or five minutes. Like, you're not really developing much when you're doing that, but at least you're still playing hockey. Right. And so I think we kind of have to throw out most of what he did in the SHL this year, or at least what we can see. I mean, we don't know what's going on in practice. But um, with Robertson, you're looking at a guy who's basically, he's a pure sniper. Um, he's, you know, it's just, his wrist shot is fantastic. He, he's kind of, he vultures opportunities, you know, kind of the puck, pop, he's, he's plays near the slot. The puck pops up somehow it manages to get his way on a stick and he makes the goalie pay for it. It makes the defense pay for, um, you know, not clearing the puck out. Um, <clears throat> he works hard in his own end too. He's not just a one-way guy. Um, he's, uh, you know, there, there's a bigger gap, I think, between where he is right now and what he could be, but you know, from what our, our Swedish um, scout said and, and the other members of the team who watched him play, we believe that he can get there if he simplifies his game a little bit more. Um, you know, at least based on what we saw from when he played at the, the junior level in Sweden, when he played at the under-18s for Sweden, um, <clears throat> you know, he plays a very north-south game, but he can sometimes be, I guess, pressured into doing like a lower, a lower percentage play, um, and so it kind of minimizes his impact. And I think a lot of that has to do with just playing at a level that he really wasn't ready for yet this year. Mm. And not even at a physical level. Like he has, a, he has decent size. He's, you know, listed at about six feet, 190. Um, so it's not a bad size. It's just that if your game isn't ready, you know, you kind of feel there's not as much poise to it. Like it's different than the jump. The jump going from the, the Swedish junior ranks to the SHL is a bigger leap than going from Minnesota high school to the USHL. Yeah. I don't think that's a, that's a controversial statement. Um, you know, so with Robertson, I mean, if you're going to a level where really everybody is, you know, you're playing against season pros and you're 17 years old, um, you might be a little bit jumpy. And I think he was, um, you know, if he slows his game down a little bit, uh, tries to, you know, maybe tries to add a little bit more East West to his game as opposed to just North South to so where he can be uh, more predi- less predictable. Uh, but still, you know, it, it's kind of a, like a, it, it's hard to say, you know, play a sim- more simple, simpler game, but don't be as predictable doing it. Right? right. It's, it's a little bit of a, you know, an odd thing to do, but we see the tools there for him to be a really viable kind of a second line winger who can score a lot of goals, play on the power play, just because he's a, he's a really good skater. He works hard and he's got a great shot and, and, you know, it's raw, but um, he didn't shy away from the challenge. And I think even though it doesn't look right, I think this experience will help him down the road probably as soon as next year, but going further as well. And to your point, you know, he, he had two points in the SHL this year in 22 games. It doesn't look very good, mm-hmm. but consider he had 15 games, uh, at, you know, with his peers, at his peer with his peer group, and he had 20 points in those 15 games. So, yeah, take the SHL numbers uh, with a rather large grain of salt uh, when it comes to the Swedes. Next on the list uh, for, for you and for McKean's, Ryan? So next we're going to go to Ontario and, um, or at least what, you know, used to be, uh, <laughs> what, uh, you know, what was played in Ontario, the OHL, but, uh, <laughs> Benjamin Gaudreau, the uh, goalie from Sarnia, who was the main uh, goaltender for Canada at the under 18s and was named the goalie of the tournament. Um, he is, you know, he's, he's another guy who we think, I mean, he's not getting the love or the attention of a Jesper Wallstad or a uh, Sebastian Kosa. 
and with good reason. I mean, I don't think he's got their upside. You know, they're huge and uh, and um, experienced at higher levels. You know, Goodrow didn't even play this year until the under 18. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a lot of reason to believe that, you know, if, if there are three future starting goalies in this draft class, he's one of them. Um, he was, he was a high, high pick in the Ontario, the OHL priority selection a couple of years ago, I think uh, seventh overall, uh, and, you know, playing like triple A hockey in North Bay. I mean, he was unbeatable, uh, literally, I think he won 20 games in a row there, um, in his OHL draft year. Hmm. Um, you know, and he gets, he gets to Sarnia and pretty quickly he steals the job from a veteran starter and his numbers in that one year he had at Sarnia aren't the greatest numbers, but. When I look at goalies' numbers, you always have to compare them to the other goalies who play in the same team, right? Because you're seeing how one player does with a certain defense in front of him. But look at how his, his you know, his uh, crease mate uh, worked with the same group in front of him. And even though Goodrow was a rookie and the other guy was, I think, a three-year vet, his numbers were way better. He stole the start. So he, stole, he steals the starting job uh, as a rookie. And then he goes to, you know, this year after being off for, well, I guess about a year, he steals his starting job again for Team Canada. And, you know, like you said, he was the best goal yet in the tournament. Um, and yes, you know, Kosa and Walston were not at the tournament. They were late birthday, so they weren't there. But of all the 2003-born or younger, mm-hmm. uh, he was easily the best one. He's very mobile. He's aggressive. Reads the play well. Very sharp reactions. Um, you know, the sample is, of course, small, but his performance, at least throughout the tournament, was consistent. The things he did well in day one, he'd do well in the second game and in the third game, which was something that was... You know, as a rookie, he could sometimes struggle with his consistency. Um, he's a very good glove hand. Um, you know, he's not as I mentioned already. His size is, is about average for an NHL goalie these days. He's 6'2". Um, you know, so it's not like he, he, he's not huge, but yeah. he's got good enough size. Um, and, you know, he, he's maybe more prone than a wall center or a coast to having holes open up when he moves um, just because he doesn't fill up as much of the net. But it's not a huge issue. And, um, you know, he's got NHL tools. Um, we're very optimistic that once the OHL gets going again next year, uh, he's going to be one of, if not the best goalies in the league. All right. That's Ben Goudreau from the uh, Sarnia Sting uh, in the Ontario. I could, a little surprised. Well, maybe not surprised, but unfortunate that he wasn't able to fly, find any playing time, maybe going to Europe like uh, a number of the players do. Probably a lot harder for a goalie to find uh, an opening, though. I did read somewhere, and I'm not sure if I'm not confusing with someone else, that he did try to play somewhere else, but there was a visa issue. But uh, I can't confirm that, and I might be confused. But I, you know, I actually absolutely agree with your point. To get work as a goalie somewhere else, I and mean, when we see how some of the other high-end guys, you know, barely played where they went to, whether it was, you know, Sweden or Switzerland or, or whatnot. Uh, but for a goalie to steal time, that would have been very, very difficult to say the least. Ryan Wagman from McKean's Hockey is my guest here as we uh, look at some of uh, the uh, favorites, I guess, for uh, personal favorites for McKean's. And uh, we'll get to another guy with maybe a bit of concern as well uh, before we're done. But uh, I guess the next guy on the list, we're heading to Finland? Yes, we are. Um, And the man's name is Valtteri Koskala. He is a defenseman. We ranked him 109th. So, you know, somebody in our fourth round area. Although once you get past 60, it's it's a bit more of a mishmash. But... um, he is somebody that doesn't get a lot of attention uh, because, you know, he's a late birthday, so he wasn't eligible to play at the under-18s this year. Mm-hmm. And other than playing for Finland at the Olinka Gretzky Cup um, prior to the pandemic, he hasn't had much international ex- uh, experience or exposure. But we're looking at an 18-year-old who spent most of this draft year playing in Liga against men in, in, uh, in Finland. 
Uh, he started the year at the under 20 level and then was graduated to the pros um, around midway um, because he was just, you know, he was very good. Um, you know, the other, I guess, uh, red mark on him is that he's small. He's 5'10", under 106, under 160 pounds. Wow. But, uh, he, you know, like you said, he's already playing against men and doing well there. And, and, and he really impressed our finish scout um, from what his work in Liga. Um, <clears throat> he's very versatile. He has some offensive flair. Uh, he's very good at escaping pressure, finding soft spots in opposition coverage, and kind of getting the transition going. Kind of, you know, some, some of the things that we liked about Pierre's game, too. Um, he does like to join the rush, Koskala. Uh, he has good vision in the offensive zone. You know, he, he, moves, he can move the puck around, find, find seams to get the puck to uh, better positions. Um, despite his size, he has shown that he can be solid in his own end. You know, defends well with, with his feet, uh, body positioning. And, and according to our finish scout, he showed a lot of improvement in both areas throughout the year. Um, but, you know, he's a guy who has, like, he, you know, anytime you get, you don't usually get a hundred and so guys who make it to the NHL in any given draft class, but we think he has a chance, you know, just because of, um, you know, he, there's no real, other than his size, there's no real poor elements to his game. Um, he makes a lot of good decisions. It's just a mature game that will lend itself well to, maximizing the tools that he does have. And so he's somebody we want to keep an eye out on. And, um, you know, whether we'll see him at the world juniors next year for Finland, I think is a distinct possibility, but, um, I think it's a, he's a good risk to take in the middle rounds for an NHL team. Should we be considering, you know, his numbers in the league the same way as we're talking about, like with Simon Robertson in the, in the SHL, I don't know if the, the ice time is as limited for the Finns at that age group playing with in the men's league as it is for the Swedes, but you know, eight points in 33 games doesn't sound great. But again, with his peer group, uh, his his numbers are better. Well, remember, as a defenseman, eight and 33 is actually not that bad. I suppose, yeah. Um, but I think I think the difference, the main difference, at least, between um, somebody like Costco and somebody like Robertson is that Costco wasn't forced into the men's league. He, he you know, the uh, I, I don't know how you pronounce the team name, JYP. I think it's Yip. But they chose they they asked they they selected him to come up and play for him because of you know a, a, I think they had a need and um <clears throat> he played very well at the under 20 level whereas Robertson I think he would have continued to play in um in the uh excuse me <clears throat> in in the Swedish junior ranks had that league not been canceled um I didn't check up Koskla's ice time in in Finland but I think he did get a fair bit more per game than um than Robertson did. And in fact, I can check that right now. Drum roll, please. Uh, he was playing, you know, uh, 15 or so minutes per game. So, you know, not heavy, heavy minutes, but regular minutes. He wasn't playing four to six minutes a game like Robertson was. So you could actually see what he's doing. Right. And I think that makes a big difference. All right. One more guy uh, overseas that we want to chat about is uh, uh, another smallish player, but might be a bit like a, a fire hydrant. Uh, correct my pronunciation. Is it Dimitri Zugan? I believe so, or Zugan, I'm not sure, but um, it's uh, Dimitri Zugan. He is, uh, we rank him 171st in our list. Um, so, yeah, he's about 5'10", 180 or so pounds, which is, again, it's not tiny. I mean, Matt Coronado, who a lot of people say is a first-rounder, ourselves as well, he's pretty much the same height and weight. Um, so Zugan is another guy who, you know, is um, as a 2002-born, he didn't play in the under-18s this year, but he also played at the Holinka Gretzky cup last year. And he also played the world junior A challenge last year. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so he's small. Yes. And his numbers weren't, you know, he didn't blow the, the doors off the, you know, the leaderboard of the league, 40 points in 61 games playing for, um, 
the CSKA junior team. Um, but there's a lot of things to like about his game. Uh, he's a very good skater, a uh, good, good change of pace that he can use to kind of, you know, sneak past uh, defenses on the rush. Um, the offensive zone, he works hard, very high hockey IQ guy. He's known for being a high character guy, um, at least in Russian circles. Um, you know, if we look at it, and, you know, as you mentioned, if you look at the size being not just the height, but his frame, he's stocky, he's strong. Although, on the other hand, he doesn't really play a very physical, you know, heavy game. Uh, but he plays a high-energy game. And, you know, you're not getting a first-line guy late in the draft. But if you can get a guy who has a chance to, you know, play in your bottom six, provide good energy, um, contribute to, a, you know, a, a winning positive team, Zugan could be that type of guy for you. Um, you know, his puck skills are pretty solid, too. It's just, you know, he's, he's not going to be a big, big scorer. But the elements are there for him to play that bottom six role, um, you know, that, that, that contributes to winning. Um, you know, Tampa, but not every player who played for Tampa this year, uh, you know, is a high end, uh, Braden point guy either, but you, they needed those energy guys in the bottom six, your Barkley, good Rose, your Blake Coleman's, um, your Patrick Maroon's, although this is not Patrick Maroon, but you need those guys to win as well. Uh, and, and, and Dugan could be the type of guy, it, it looks like the type of guy that is worth a gamble in the late rounds to eventually fulfill that type of role. All right. We'll watch for that uh, on the, uh, the draft weekend, second day of the draft. Uh, let's get to the player that you like, but probably not as much as anybody else. And that's, you know, the the player that you're picking out is, is Scott Morrow. Now, there are outlets out there that consider him potentially as a late first rounder. You guys don't have him that high, but you still have him in the second round. So it's not like you don't like him at all, just probably not as much as some other teams. And uh, if, you know, if you were an NHL club and you, he was taken ahead of you, you're okay with that because that means somebody you like more has uh, been pushed down to you. Tell me what it is about Scott Morrow. So I, I guess, you know, there's a saying that I've heard sometimes with, with the draft that, you know, the draft is where the general manager stocks the organization for the next general manager. Hmm. And with Morrow, he's stocking it for the manager who follows the next general manager. Um, so there's a lot of things to like about Morrow's game. And, I, you know, I can see why some outlets like him as a first rounder. And I, I know some teams also are considering him in the first round. Um, he's a fantastic skater. He's got great puck skills. Um, you know, he's very poised and, and calm with the puck. And that's all true. But there's a lot to be concerned about. And there's, I have a lot of reasons to think that he's not going to be able to bring that game to the NHL. And it, it starts with, you know, and, and I, we'll go back to Jack Pierre, where I mentioned I'm, I tend to get concerned when a good prospect does not play against the best competition available to him. And uh, Morrow played almost the entire year uh, with Shattuck St. Mary's. Uh, in fact, it was his third year playing for their 18 and under program. Yeah. So he's, you know, done more than enough to prove that he doesn't need to play there anymore. Um, but he did. And, and, you know, for the reasons you can accept whatever reasons you want to believe why he played there. And there are, I can't confirm the reasons I've only heard various, you know, rumors, but um, he was great at Shattuck's again. But again, he's playing against guys who are smaller, who are younger, who are way less talented. And it showed because he could just do whatever he wanted and nobody could really stop him. Um, and he didn't do himself any favors by playing that way for a third year because he didn't really get to learn the game and, and experience, you know, difficulties or hardships on the ice that he has to overcome until he got to Fargo at the end of the year. So he got to Fargo uh, during the playoffs. And so I got to see him as well. I saw him you know, on video with Shattuck and I saw him at the end of the year with Fargo. Mm-hmm. And once he got to Fargo, he was pretty ineffective. You know, every time he would get the puck, I remember watching the, the first game I saw him at live, 
he had like seven or eight uh, puck touches in one period. And on six of them, he turned the puck over like within seconds because he tried to do something way too complicated than the situation required. And, um, you know, the defenses at that level, and this is the USHL level, we're not talking, you know, he, he wasn't suddenly playing against pros in the SHL, uh, but defenses at that level were, were easily shutting him down. Not, he's not small. He's got good size. He's seemingly kind of small, but he doesn't play a very intense game, uh, which is another issue. He doesn't like push the play at all or much. Um, you know, he, he can get shut down too easily. And because he tries to overcomplicate things, he's missing a lot of easier, you know, more simpler opportunities to move the puck in the right direction. So it turned out more often he moved the puck in the wrong direction. Hmm. And when we were first thinking about, you know, putting our final list together, I was really thinking more, it was more in my third round, but you know, I saw him towards the end of the playoffs. He was adjusting a little bit more. He wasn't forcing stuff every play. Um, he still did a lot, but, you know, he could at least show, okay, sometimes he could sometimes slow the game down a little bit, you know, but I think his game will need to be reworked completely to get to the point where he can take those tools, the, the puck skills, the skating, uh, decent shot, you know, get, and get them to where he can play as a pro. Um, I am... Uh, optimistic because he's going to UMass and UMass has done a really good job in the last few years, developing defensemen, yep. you know, kill McCarr, Zach Jones, um, Mark Delgaizo. I know I'm missing somebody, but they, Mario Ferraro. Thank you. Mario Ferraro. Yes. Um, they've done a very good job of developing defensemen. So that's good, but there's so much that needs to be done. Like, I really think he's somebody you need to strip him down to the bare bones and build them back up to say, this is what you can do. Now, this is how you're going to do it. Um, and so it's a risk that, yeah, I think he's got, you know, he's got uh, boom potential to be like a high end uh, defenseman, but the bust potential is gigantic. And the time that's going to be needed to, to go from where he is today to knowing whether he's a boom or bust, it's a long, long time frame. Um, and, you know, beyond that, while he is skilled and fast, I don't know that he's skilled and fast enough to be a number one defenseman, um, you know, that I'd say, okay, I'll take that risk. Um, so I'd be happy to say, okay, yes, if he's available in the late second round, why not? Let's do it. But if somebody else drafts him, as you said before, that's fine for me, you know, let somebody else deal with that. And somebody else that I like a bit better will probably slip down to my spot in the, in the draft. And fair enough. That's uh, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Ryan, terrific job. The annual, uh, draft guide for McKean's hockey is out. Uh, how do people get their yeah. hands on it if they haven't got it already? So anybody who subscribes to as a McKean subscriber has access to it. You just download it. Um, in fact, it's, you know, it's a secret. We don't tell everybody, but I'll tell you and your fine listeners that it's actually cheaper to have a subscription and download it than to buy it on its own. Mm. Um, we do though this year have an option to uh, buy a physical copy. We have, it's, I think our first time we've done a physical offered a physical um, draft guide. Uh, we can buy it in color or black and white. It's a, uh, to buy it on its own, you, uh, $19.99 to buy a print copy. I think that includes shipping and or $24.99 for the color version. Um, $21.99 just as a digital download. Uh, but again, if you are a subscriber, then you have complete access to it. And subscribing, um, well, that's um, it's a lot cheaper. So you get it for three months, meaning you get the draft guide and all the scouting reports we have online. And, and by the time the draft rolls around, We'll have a full report on everybody in who we've ranked in the top three rounds and a number more besides. Um, for sixteen fifty, you have access to our site for three months and everything on it, including the draft guide, including probably the, the NHL yearbook, which will come out before uh, the 21-22 season begins. So there's probably your best value right there. For sixteen fifty, you get it all. 
Excellent. And if people order a hard copy of the guide, you're going to be signing them? If you, if you come to my house, I will absolutely <laughs> sign it. Or if I see you in the rinks next year, I will absolutely gladly sign your guidebook. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully we can get back into the rinks and everything gets back to normal. Knock on wood. Ryan, I really, really appreciate your time. Uh, looking forward to the draft and uh, it, it picture gets clearer after we have you on. So thanks for making the time. My pleasure, Guy. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's Ryan Wagman from McKean's Hockey. And uh, you take me back to the question of the week about how many goalies will be taken in the first round. Here's a guy who thinks Ben Goudreau not, uh, wouldn't be shocked if he ended up being taken at the tail end of the first round. I think I've seen a ranking one or two now that uh, seem to have him right around that bubble of uh, the tail end of the first round, early second. So maybe it shouldn't be a shock. Boy, wouldn't that be something to see three goalies taken in the first round? I don't remember the last time we saw that. Off the top of my head, I don't know. Somebody out there smarter than me will have that at their fingertips, but I don't know when's the last time we saw three goalies taken in the first round of the NHL draft. Has it ever happened? I don't know. Great stuff from Ryan, and everyone at McKean's does a terrific job as well. Go check them out if you can. Next up, we head to Ontario and uh, Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet. With his list next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. And now it's a two on zero. Oh. Mishak and Shirk. Jan Mishak, Patrick goal. Hello, I'm Jan Mishak of Hamilton Bulldogs, and this is the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with... If one of y'all says some silly-ass name, this whole class is going to feel my wrath. Gee Flaming. Son of a bitch. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show, and we'll continue on with uh, the uh, lead-up to the 2021 NHL Draft. And uh, we're going to chat with another scout who has uh, got his uh, eyes all over this draft class. And uh, we'll talk about some, some of the players that... Uh, he likes probably more than others, and uh, then there's that one guy as well that he likes, but might not be as high up on his list as it might be for for NHL teams or for uh, for other scouts. Of course, the Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in all of Alberta. Not sure if Sam Cosentino is a big beef jerky guy, are you, Samu? Not really. It's not. It's not really like a Toronto area thing. I got to tell you. Is, do you think it's a Western Canada thing? Yeah, I totally think that. Like growing up or anything like that, never really was a big part of it. A few friends that hunted and so on, and they'd come back with deer. I think the venison right. jerky, I guess they call it. 
but no, never really made its way down to down to these parts too much. I got to tell you. Well, we love our beef out here in Alberta, so. So I'm gonna have to get out there. So I'm expecting to be taken care of the next time I get out there. <laughs> you got it, buddy. That's a promise. All, All right. right. Uh, let's get to it. Sam Cosentino is my guest from uh, Sportsnet, and uh, he'll be part of the draft day coverage for for not just Sportsnet but for the NHL Network too. You're telling me, Sam? Yeah, it's going to be kind of a, a different uh, set of circumstances this year, as is with most things the last couple of years, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're teaming up with uh, ESPN, the new rights holder uh, for the NHL in the United States, and uh, NHL Network, who I've worked with uh, quite a bit here the last couple of years. Um, that'll be more of a day two thing, but our day one thing um, that you typically see on Sportsnet, we work with Berkey and Mike Fuda and, and Friedman and, and the likes last year, is just going to look a, a lot different this year. With it being the opening night of the Olympics, you know, it was, I, I think everyone just thought it was better to be in one central place, uh, still doing the virtual thing. But uh, I'll be working with John Buchagross, uh, Emily Kaplan, Kevin Weeks, myself, Elliot, uh, and I think a few others um, as far as doing it on night one. So it's going to be a, like a co-production, a joint co-production with uh, Sportsnet, NHL Network, and, and ESPN. So really, really looking forward to that. Fantastic. And you guys, you, you always knock it out of the park. And I'm just glad that you're able to uh, spare some time for the pipeline show uh, i i asked you to give me six guys that you're pretty high on on a, in a personal way and that you that you would maybe go out of your way to select if you could and then there another guy that you like but you know if uh, a, a, an nhl team were to pick them before your club was uh was up to the podium you'd be okay with that because that means somebody else gets pushed down to you that you might like more and the first name that you, you gave me was zachary bolduke uh, let's start there uh, and tell me about uh, Bolduc and why he's the guy that uh, well immediately came to mind for you. Well, just I, I love his skill, and so you know I had the benefit in in doing CHL games for Sportsnet to get around and watch a lot of these players as 16 year olds, and so you know that's kind of my lasting memory of Bolduc playing uh, with Cedric Paré, Alexi Lafreniere, Dmitry Zavgorodny, Isaac Belovo, and a, and a power play that was just unbelievable uh, for the Ramuski Oceanic a couple of years ago, and so. You know, everyone was saying he would have had plenty of looks because everyone was looking at Lafreniere, of course. Uh, but most people were saying, oh, yeah, he's just a sidecar to, to what Lafreniere and this this really good power play does. And most of his points are in the power play. And there was some some validity to that. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, when I look at this guy on his own, I think he started the year and said, oh, I have to be Alexi. I have to be Alexi. And it didn't quite work out that way. So Serge Beausoleil took it under uh, advisement to really kind of make – him into the mold and in, in, in more of a pro style game, if you will. And so from that point on, it was being more defensively responsible, being on the right side of the puck, not cheating for offense and using process to be able to deliver offense. And I think when it comes to Bull Duke, yeah, he was hurt uh, for better, better part of that second half of the season. And yes, he was hurt for the playoffs, but still just over a point per game. And I think once he came to the realization that he could kind of cut his own swath, uh, that he would be a guy who was going to be able to to be a really successful player. So I like his edge work. I, I like the way he dances around the puck. He's one of those guys a lot like uh, Mitch Marner that I've seen you know a ton of with the Maple Leafs and, and the London Knights before that. His hand eye is crazy. I mean, this guy can knock down pucks, deflect pucks, tip pucks. Really, really adept in that area. He's good in the small area game. He's got good edge work, light on a skate. So. He's a guy who I think will also score goals at the next level, but I also think uh, you know he continues to need to, to find more structure in his game on uh, you know when he doesn't have the puck. 
he was just a hair under a point per game guy in his rookie season and just a hair over a mm-hmm. point per guy excuse me a hair over a point per game guy uh, this year is it is it fair to say he should have been more productive that you know there should have been a, a, a larger jump forward with, with his productivity or do you chalk that up to well maybe the team wasn't as deep as it was in his rookie year plus he had those injuries and hell it was a it was a strange year for everybody to to operate around covid what do you you know do, does all, all of that factor in well, I, I chalk it yeah, for sure. All of that factors in. And again, like I, I kind of harken back. And sometimes, if you if you're just looking at guys in a vacuum and see what they bring to the table, regardless of what they're surrounded by and and how good their team is and so on and so forth, that, then I think you can get a real good sense to project what the player will be at at the next level. And I think with Bolduc, that that's kind of how it worked for me. Um, you know, some really good in person in viewings where we're calling games, and he's just doing all kinds of things and scoring in a variety of ways and yeah you know of course he was helped by really uh, good players around him uh, but when that option wasn't afforded him this year uh, still over a point per game which I think is pretty good so I think people would have expected a, a little bit more but uh, I like what I've seen uh, from him over the last well call it two years but I guess for everybody it's kind of like a year and a half yeah that's right. Yeah. Uh, he comes in uh, 16 on your ranking in May. And correct me if I'm wrong. Is that the the final ranking for for you in Sportsnet? No, we're going to have one come out Wednesday, and then we're going to do a mock draft immediately after the uh, the expansion draft because we're uh, expecting things to the landscape to change a little bit with what Ron Francis should be able to do. Okay. Um, maybe not to the extent of of George McPhee in, in Vegas in 2017, but. Uh, the mock draft will come out then. The final rankings will come out this Wednesday. That's uh, the the 14th of July. So there'll be a couple of changes here and there, and some omissions and deletions, as uh, as there always is, as the work uh, continues to get put into to the researcher. All right, next guy is uh, Zach Dean uh, with the Gatineau Olympique. I tried really hard in the last few weeks to get him on the show, but uh, <laughs> he's on vacation right now, so didn't work out. I, I noticed he's from Grand Prairie, Alberta, but he's uh, been. Uh, like he played in Ontario for a long time. Now he's playing in uh, Gatineau. So uh, a well-traveled guy, but I was interested in what the uh, connection was with, with Alberta for him. Uh, tell me about Zach Dean, the player. It's funny because I'm interested in that connection as well. It's on my on my to-do list here as we look forward to the draft because I think this guy's going to be a first-rounder, probably late in the first round. Uh, but I like him because he brings kind of an old-school mentality to the game. He's got good skill, can work the in-tight game. Um, he can burn you with speed around the corners and he really has no issues going anywhere on the ice. Like he plays, you know, at six feet, you know, he, he plays a lot more fearless than, than someone six foot, 170, 175 pounds might, uh, you know, you, you might envision otherwise. So I like that part about him. And again, I saw him as a 16 year old. So sometimes things are different. Your circumstances are a little different as a rebuilding Gatineau team. He got pretty good prominent minutes there. I know he got bumped over to the wing by Louis Robitaille this year. So that, uh, you know, I think uh, will show scouts some versatility. Uh, but a guy who, who I think is really adept around the net for whatever reason, he just seems to have a knack in finding quiet ice or being that pain in the rear end in front of the net with the ability to maintain his position and his concentration and his focus. And again, to, to tip pucks or to kind of anticipate where rebounds might go to create second chances. So I like his play around the net, but I also like the fact that he can play a, a speed game on, off the rush. Another guy who was basically a point per game player this year, and did up his production slightly from uh, his rookie season in Gatineau. Uh, also, he played Newfoundland too. So, uh, man, this guy's uh, all yeah, across yeah. the country. Yeah, he, he's a bit of a circus act. He's been all over the place. <laughs> I'm quite certain his dad played pro. 
Uh, and so there are some connections there. And typically when you see those guys who, who play pro, if they're not, you know, longtime NHLers, they tend to move around and, and, and follow their either minor pro dreams or, uh, you know, or European uh, professional dreams. Is, is there an asset that he has that kind of is uh, head and shoulders his strongest asset? He's listed as a centerman on the sheet I'm looking at, um, but goals and assists dead split even, 10 each this year. So I don't know if he's more of a shooter or a setup guy. Is he just really good at face-offs? Or is there one thing that kind of jumps out? For me, it's just to, just his ability to, to play and, and be around the net and to find areas in which he's going to get opportunities to score. So is he the most skilled guy? No. Does he have speed that I think works to, you know, to take advantage of, of burning guys outside? He does have that. But again, it's more of that old school mentality where I'm the offensive player, yet the net front is, is where I'm setting up shop and you're going to have to do whatever you can to get me out of the way there. And, you know, a lot of times it's uh, either kind of hanging out there or you're popping in and popping out. And he seems to have that, that uh, I guess, that hockey sense and the blend to know when to do both, you know, spin off coverage, slide off a guy, get in back behind the D, put yourself between the goalie and the defensive player. Now, and so, you know, when he gets into that position, he, he really seems to be able to create some havoc there. So he's not a guy that when he picks up the puck and although he does have some speed, he's not going to dazzle you with these one-on-one moves. He's probably going to be a guy who, who kind of gets you to go wide um, and then take it to the net hard. So, more of an old school mentality and his ability to to take it to the net and to be around the net when play becomes more stationary in the offensive zone. All right, let's go to a goaltender. And most people have Jesper Wallstead and Sebastian Kosa as the top two goalies uh, in the draft. And there might be a gap to the next guy, but it seems like the consensus next guy is Benjamin Goudreau. And uh, he's on your list that you want to talk about too. Goaltender with the Sarnia Sting, uh, unfortunately didn't get to play at all this past season until the World U18. And he was great there. Yeah, he was really good. And it's funny because you go back to a pretty crummy Sarnia team in the 2019-2020 season and you're saying that the numbers don't look good under 17s. Numbers aren't particularly good. Mm -hmm. And then you're seeing a guy who now has to sit out for basically 14 months. And and then all of a sudden he arrives, um, you know, in a bit of a battle to to get the starting net job for Canada at the under 18s. And he just kind of takes the net and he runs with it. So I think... uh, what I like about this guy is the fact that on that kind of poor Sarnia team, he was able to play minutes. And sometimes that's the most important thing for a goaltender is not necessarily, you know, looking at the numbers and hoping the numbers are just enough to be able to keep you, you know, as a regular starter, it worked that way for Goudreau. And so that experience served him well, got a ton of shots, played a ton of games. um, And that really kind of set forth in motion, what was going to be his under 18s. And again, to fight through the mental toughness. And he talked a little bit about it in some of the press conferences at the under 18. It was really challenging. I mean, anyone going into their draft year who doesn't get a chance to play that, that is obviously going to wreak havoc on you, but especially as a goaltender, because let's face it, these guys typically need three to five years before they even have any kind of pro aspirations or be, or can become effective in the pro rank. So Mm. when I look at that and the ability to fight through that stuff, that's what really impresses me. And then to go to this tournament and be a guy who, who can step in after not having played for so long, be so kind of laser focused on the job to win the starting job and then to win a gold medal on top of that. I think that speaks volume about the character of the young man. So, you know, when it comes to the technique and when it comes to the athleticism, those are present um, as they are in a lot of the higher end goalies you see uh, these days. But 
I don't know. I think you'd have to look back a long time to see three goalies taken in the first round. I don't think Goudreau is going to get there, but it's not out of the question. Hmm. And so um, I think, you know, you look at Volstead, you look at Coase, and I think I'm pretty comfortable saying both of those guys are going to end up going in the first round. But you get down to a team like Columbus that has three picks, if they maintain those three picks, a couple of them are towards the end of the first, and maybe that's an area they want to address, you know, moving forward. And you say to yourself, well, we're not going to be able to wait around until our second round pick to get this guy. Maybe we, we nab him with the, I think they have uh, Tampa's pick, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and, and then they can go and, and get the player there. So it's not a foregone conclusion that three goalies will go in the first round. But if there are three, we know who two of them are. This guy might be the third. Interesting. I was going to ask if you see a more of a second, maybe third, but at an early second round pick for Benjamin Goudreau, that would be something for sure. Uh, all right, the first defenseman we're going to chat about is Scott Morrow, who played high school hockey. He's on his way to UMass, uh, the same program that has produced well a lot of current yeah. NHLers now in Makar and Mario Ferraro, and the list is starting to grow there. Uh, why is Scott Morrow a guy that uh, that you're pretty high on? Well, he, he lives it. He breathes it. His family does the same thing. I mean, they're, they're a Connecticut-born uh, family, and you know, they've got uh, their siblings that all play the game and the parents are fully committed. They, they mo- actually moved to, to a house right across from Shattuck St. Mary so that Scott and his siblings could, could play hockey there. And I thought, wow, that's, that's, you know, some unbelievable commitment. But really, and this is a story that we're going to tell on either day one of the draft or day two, depending on when Scott goes. Um, but I don't know if a lot of people know this guy in, in seventh grade went to his parents with a PowerPoint presentation and said, Hey, I want to go to, I want to go play hockey. I want to go to Shattuck. And he read up at about it, 37 NHLers or whatever that number is now that have come out of there. And, you know, I want to pursue my hockey career. And so he presented to his parents in a PowerPoint presentation as to why he should go to Shattuck St. Mary's. And I think that's such a, a really cool story. And it speaks to the commitment. Now, you're talking about a guy that played in high school, so that's always a little bit more challenging to try and um, to try and scout and to try and project. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're also talking about a guy who's a really good skater. He's got uh, he's got size, um, and of course he's going to make his mark as an offensive defenseman. He's never going to be known as that that shut down, stay at home guy. You know, everyone wants to tell you that, but that's not going to be his calling card at the next level. So I, I just find him such a fascinating character. Um, and it's speaking with a ton of confidence. We interviewed him last week, uh, and I was just so impressed by, by some of the things he was saying, the commitment of his family, and, of course, the, uh, the realization at a young age that this is the, the career path that he wanted to take. That's amazing, the PowerPoint story. That's, that's yeah. fantastic. Seventh grade, holy cow. Uh, <laughs> any concern with he spent three years on the same team at Shattuck, so not really like uh, uh, testing himself at, at a higher level. And then when he goes to Fargo in time for the playoffs, played six games, no points there. Any concern at all when you think of those two things? I don't think so. And, and again, you're, you're talking about projection. You're talking about a, a position that typically takes a little bit longer, you know, not quite as long as goalies, but, but playing D at that high level takes a little while. I mean, you know, when Victor Hedman came into the league, everyone thought, wow, thank God, you know, John Tavares went first. And, you know, five years later, people were saying, oh, yeah, this Hedman guy is pretty good. And I think, honestly, if you went back and, and redrafted right now, I'm not so sure that Tavares would be the first overall pick. Mm. So it does take some time to develop, you know, those those higher-end guys. And they have to understand that you're, there has to be some level of D that you have to play, even if you're one of those, quote, new-age guys. 
there has to be some level of being able to protect, uh, you, you know, your own goal before you can kind of take those major steps forward offensively. So is there some concerns? Yeah, sure. Would you have liked to have seen him play uh, all season against USHL competition? No question about it. But I do think that you're also in the business as an NHL scout to project and not really necessarily be worried about the here and now. At times, uh, when we talked about it earlier, you got to put yourself in that vacuum and say, you know, what what skills here translate and, and project to be skills that are going to be of that same level against this competition when he takes a couple of steps forward. So, you know, he's got an opportunity to, to fall in a pretty good uh, footsteps to Kale McCarr, and, and uh, we'll see if the development works out in the same way for him. Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet is my guest as we uh, look at some of uh, his personal favorites for the upcoming NHL draft. Let's go to Josh Doan, played in the USHL, second year with the Chicago Steel, uh, and uh, comes home with a Clark Cup a championship. A uh, heck of a season for him, 31 goals, 70 points in 53 games. Now, we know that team is absolutely a, a, a offensive <laughs> juggernaut in that league. Yeah. Second year eligible, didn't get taken in, in his first go-around, only had 14 points in 45 games that year, but obviously a huge jump in his production. I'm I'm guessing that a lot of that is due to more opportunity as, as guys from last year's team moved up to uh, the NCAA. Um, tell me about Josh Dondo. Yeah, no question some of that. And he played with the league's leading scorer in, in, in Farrell there. So, you know, you, you do have that as someone that you can benefit from, but you also have to be a guy who can maintain the ability to play with someone as talented as Farrell to be able to put up the number of points that he did. So mm-hmm. I think he's grown a little bit. Um, you know, I was just doing some some work on back in his under 14 year, you know, he's being coached by his dad and he's one of the smaller guys on his team. And so now at 6'3", he's obviously had uh, experienced a, a growth spurt over the last couple of years. And I think sometimes too, um, you know, when you go in with that name on your on your shoulders, that can be it can be pressure filled Mm -hmm. and some people don't want to take that as well. Your dad played in the NHL and you should be able to navigate through these things. And that's not always necessarily the case. So you go through the draft once you kind of get an understanding as, uh, as to what it's going to take. And then you have the the benefit of playing on a team where scouts are going out to watch Samuskovich and they're going out to watch Coronado. And now you're getting a lot more looks uh, in front of scouts. And so, Rather than maybe in this draft year, yeah, Chicago was still pretty good, but maybe not the type of intense looks that the team would have had this year, especially knowing that those looks would have been concentrated, knowing that the USHL played a a fairly large schedule and into the playoffs and everything else. It probably allowed more people to get there than maybe typically they they would have. Um, And so I think that definitely is helpful. But, you know, you're talking about a guy, a right wing guy, can score goals. You know, the, the physical part of the game doesn't bother him. He shows some of his dad's work ethic. Um, you know, as a guy who's going to go and play at Arizona State where he's comfortable next year. So that's kind of, uh, you know, the, the situation for him. Uh, and I think, again, you go through the, the draft process once and you realize and you see some of your buddies going and then you're on a team where you're like, oh, my gosh, there's a couple of guys here, too, that might end up going in the first round and Owen Power, who I played with last year, and I want to be part of this party. So you go to work, prepare yourself, and, and I think the results really paid off for Josh. So he's going to be an, a really, really fascinating guy to watch because, you know, it's it's not typical where you see those reentry guys get selected super high. It doesn't happen often. It does an occasion. Uh, but he might be one of those guys, I think, early in the second round 
and again might sneak into the into the latter stages of the first. Uh, and uh, you mentioned the pressure that goes maybe with that name bar that's uh, on his back, but you know if there's one thing, nobody has anything bad to say about Shane Doan, right? So there's no concern about well, what kind of family does he come from or anything like that, because you you, right. you already know the character that's uh, that comes with it. Yeah, and that's and that's a huge benefit as well. And listen, everyone's developmental path doesn't always go along that straight line, and so you know, and I, I don't know this to be true, but sometimes there's situations where, Hey, you're playing in a pretty prominent program. You're the son of an NHL guy. Maybe I don't have to work as hard. And again, I, I want to make clear that I'm not certain this is the case, but I've seen that happen before where you're saying, wow, I'm a dome. Like <laughs> I'm going, man. Like, right. what are you talking about? My dad was a great player and you know, maybe I don't have to work at it quite as hard. Uh, so I think it's a combination of a bunch of things that, that brought the, uh, that brought Josh to, to prominence this year. And I don't think he gets past 45, to be honest with you. Guy. All right, let's go to uh, another defenseman. And I love it that you gave me a guy who's probably off the radar for a lot of people. <laughs> uh, his name is Chandler Romeo, and, or Romeo, maybe. You can correct me uh, with the pronunciation. But one of those OHL guys who didn't get to go overseas and play anywhere. So he's been sitting stagnant for the last, uh, I guess, about 16 months now. Uh, but tell me about this guy, because the you know, six foot five, two hundred and five ish, two hundred ten pounds, uh, certainly sounds good. It sure does. And you know, when you're looking at defensemen at that size, you're always going to get a little bit of, of leeway. Uh, but just a just a fascinating character. He's not going to be a high pick. I think he's probably pegged to go in the latter stages of uh, you know of of day two. You know, maybe in the fifth to, to seventh round is, would be where I would project him. But Steve Stales and the Hamilton Bulldogs, I think he was a third-round pick in Hamilton and a guy who played Junior B last year, put up okay numbers. He went to that uh, Erie tournament, and he played pretty well there. And I think, you know, when it comes to Chandler, it's really just about simplifying the game um, and maybe trying to add a little bite to your game because at that size, everyone wants or expects you to be the overly physical guy, and Chandler is not that player. He's a really good skating, puck-moving defenseman, who, um, you know, probably has to add a little bit of that to his game. But there are times, uh, Guy, and I see it here in Ontario a lot, where players, you're, you're sitting there and maybe you're going to a stacked team. And so the general manager says, hey, you know what, maybe the best thing for you is just to go and play junior B or go and play tier two and, and get your chops there and play tons of minutes and experience what it's like to play in a power play. You come here and you're the six seven guy and we got to yank you out of the lineup, put you in the press box once in a while. And you're playing when you are playing, you know, eight, eight minutes a night. Uh, how good is that going to be for you? Instead, go back to a team that's maybe not quite as good or not quite as deep. Really play a ton of minutes and develop your game. And I think Chandler, you know, as difficult as it was for him to do that, he did it, took that upon himself. And now, at, at you know, six, five, 200 plus pounds, who's a really good skater, really agile type of guy. I think he has a chance to go in the latter stages and that would be a, a really interesting story, but he, I think, will be one of probably a handful of maybe five or six guys that'll be in that same boat that were drafted by Ontario Hockey League teams, didn't play. Uh, Logan Mayu might be another one of those guys. Didn't play a lot with their OHL clubs or at all with their OHL clubs. Played in Tier 2 or Junior B and, you know, by word of mouth and so on and so forth, going to tournaments like both of those players did in, in Erie maybe gives them, uh, you know, the opportunity to to be drafted when maybe that wasn't going to be the case because of no OHL season. Do you know how I correctly pronounce uh, Chandler's last name? Is it Romeo or, or Romeo? 
it's funny because I, I talk to a lot of, and I never asked them and I should actually, I call them Romeo because I know family friends that are Romeos. Okay. So that's how I, I that's how I refer to them. As, but I'm sure there'll be, you'll hear a lot of Romeos. And to be honest with you, he's probably a guy who very few people are talking about. He's on Central's list, probably in that 170 range, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think, you know, 6.5D you skate well. They're, they're, they're not easy to find. And so that's what makes me think that uh, probably someone will take a flyer on them late. Excellent. And, of course, we get to the one guy that uh, I asked for, somebody that you'd like, uh, but maybe not as much as, <laughs> as other people. And I think this is a fair pick because you have Fabian LaSalle as the number 11 guy on your list, at least the one that came out in May. So obviously, he's just outside of your top 10. Clearly, you like the player. But a lot of people do have him in the inside the top ten and maybe even top five. Uh, what is he uh, lacking, or is there what's the concern for you? I just think it's some some off ice stuff. I think it's a, away from the rink, and that's probably more immaturity than anything else. But let's face it when when this guy wants to take over a game, he has the skill set to do it. He scored a couple of like like unbelievable goals at the under 18s. One I think was against. Uh, I want to say it was against Belarus at the end of a penalty kill when he went back and retrieved the puck just inside of his own blue line and then dipsy doodled knowing that the PKers were making a change. So he recognized that, hustled back in that puck, skated the distance, and unbelievable finish. Um, he has that type of dynamic ability that will literally bring you out of your seats. And the type of guy who, when he's on, you would go and pay to watch him. He's that exciting. He's that dynamic. But there's some inconsistency in his play. I know there's been some questions about um, you know, off ice, switching teams in Sweden. You don't see that very often for young players. Um, you know, that raises a little bit of a red flag as to why that happened. You know, he wanted more time in the SHL. Forlunda wasn't really ready to do that or wanted him to, to earn it. Uh, and so there's a little bit of noise outside of the rink that has me concerned. But in a vacuum, scouting him in a game where he's on, Forget it, he might be one of the top two or three most talented players that this draft class has to offer. So the totality is this. For me, when my rankings come out Wednesday, there's going to be a one sentence that says, this guy is the most polarizing guy in this draft class, period, end of story. Well, that fits the bill for sure. I, I saw the write-up that you had in, in May where he said he's one of the most skilled guys, but also one of the most inconsistent. And I guess that's that can inconsistency can be an issue for a lot of guys this age, right? I mean, that's that's not a a problem that's um, you know unique to him. No, for sure, and especially in these these crazy times. Like, let's not forget about that too. And so, you know, a lot of these kids were. were and myself included are, are guilty sometimes of projecting or 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 looking at them in a way we would look at them in any other regular season. And, and sometimes I got to, you know, slap myself in the face and say, Hey, wait a sec. You know what this guy went through? Like, you know what these kids have gone through uh, and how difficult it was. So I, I think we have to caution ourselves sometimes, all of us right through the NHL teams to say the same sort of thing that some of the stuff that, that may have occurred, um, you know, may, may have been a result of the pressure of, of what the times were. Uh, but the, you know, I guess the other thing I'd say about, about Lucelle is that, you know, when you look at guys who have traditionally been drafted high or, or have had success coming out of Sweden, they typically do fairly well in their, in their SHL season. And a lot of them play in the SHL and play a regular shift 
in the SHL during their draft eligible year. You know, Lucas Raymond and, and Alexander Holtz, you can use those guys as examples and still able to put up a decent amount of points. So the fact is a little bit alarming, switches teams, still doesn't put up a ton of points. Um, that, that part is a, is a bit alarming to me as well. But my goodness, he, he is an unbelievably skilled young man. He was charming in our interview with him. Um, and maybe some of, the, of, of what's gone on away from the rink is, can be chalked up to, to immaturity. And, and no one is immune to that, especially at that age and especially in the trying times we've had over the last year and a half. Outstanding stuff, uh, Sam. I really appreciate your time uh, after the draft and into the summer. Do you, do you switch gears and do you go back to baseball? Or are you going to be the bat boy for the Toronto Blue Jays again? What do you do this summer? <laughs> well, if they allow him to come home, uh, <laughs> who knows what's going to happen here with that. But, yeah, we'll be keeping an eye on it. To be honest with you, I'm more like the buttermaker guy. You know, put on the T-shirt that doesn't fit and coach my son in, in, in baseball and have a blast <laughs> doing that and maybe clean some pools uh, in between coaching stints. Buttermaker. That's that's a bad news bears reference for you younger <laughs> yeah. listeners who have no idea. <laughs> that was outstanding work. Sam, I really appreciate your time as always, man. Great to catch up once again. Uh, good luck and enjoy the draft. I'll be watching from here. And uh, as always, you're going to knock it out of the park. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Guy. It's, it's a pleasure getting caught up again. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun for the listeners in your immediate area and for you yourself with your connection to the Oil Kings uh, and watching what happens with, with Gunther and Kosa for sure. And maybe yeah. a couple of others, uh, you know, on day two. Thank you. Okay, buddy. Take it easy. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. That's Sam Cosentino. And I guess the plot thickens now, doesn't it? Uh, Scott Morrow on, uh, Sam's thumbs up list. But in the last segment, you heard that there was a scout who has some big concerns with Scott Morrow and would probably be happy not to take Scott Morrow. So that's very interesting. Another guy who likes Ben Goudreau a lot and could potentially see him at the tail end of the first round or into the early, very early second round. So that makes things uh, very interesting, doesn't it? Man, these shows are fun. I love picking the brains of uh, these guys who uh, put the list together. And, uh, you know, Sam Cosentino has been around junior hockey for a long time. So uh, when he says something, uh, I respect his opinion a lot. And that's why I like to get him on the show as much as possible. Let's continue on and get another scout in here. And uh, next up will be Chris Peters, who is now running his own show at, with, he calls it Hockey Sense. Of course, you know him uh, over the years. He's been on the program. He's been with Sports Illustrator or ESPN. And going all the way back to the United States of Hockey blog. Terrific guy and uh, some great insight leading into the draft. He's next here on the Pipeline Show, fueled by Wilhock Beef Jerky. <laughs> Hey, it's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. Now he goes cross ice, center ice to Holloway. Drop pass between his legs, white spot, three feeds Holloway, open, score! What <laughs> a fantastic play! Holloway, white spot, back to Holloway, 1 1. Wow! And you're listening to Pipeline Show. Spruce Grove St. AJHL Hockey is back for the 2020-2021 season. 
Due to the ongoing pandemic, the attendance is limited at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. You can follow along across social media at SG Saints and support the Saints by heading to sprucegrovesaints.ca and purchasing your Cash is King tickets today. Over $33,000 in prizes to be given away. Again, head to sprucegrovesaints.ca for more information. The Spruce Grove Saints, proud supporters of the Pipeline Show. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Well, Lottie Frickin' All right, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, brought to you, of course, by Wilhawk Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in Alberta. And we'll continue on with uh, the look ahead to the 2021 NHL draft uh, through the eyes of the scouts. As uh, pleased to welcome a good friend of the Pipeline Show back again is uh, Chris Peters from uh, Hockey Sense. Uh, Chris, welcome back to the program. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I hope you're doing uh, well as well. Uh, yeah, things are good here. Things have actually opened up again, like no mask mandate in Alberta or anything anymore. So, you know, I think there are a lot of people who are a little uh, skeptical and leery about that, and, and maybe rightly so, but uh, it's it's kind of nice to be able to get out in public again. What's it like where you are? Yeah, it's, it's uh, well, I live in Iowa, so it's been kind of open for a long time, and, you know, we took extra precautions for a long time, but now it's it's really, yeah, things are getting back to normal, almost completely back to normal. And now we just got to keep the fingers crossed that the, the, the new variants don't uh, spread too quickly and too widely so that uh, we don't have to go back to the way it was. But, yeah, it, it does feel like, like uh, nature is healing, as they as the kids like to say. Yeah, getting back to normal in a lot of ways. See all the sporting events with, uh, you know, wide open for fans. Unfortunately... The draft isn't uh, going to be back to normal, but uh, maybe in time for 2022. But with the draft now uh, on the very, very near horizon, let's get to the draft list because there's lots we're going to cover. Uh, and for you, uh, maybe for people who haven't seen it, how do they get your rankings this year? Because it's in a new place. Yeah, so I'm at, at Hockey Sense on Substack. So, so it's hockeysense.substack.com, um, which is uh, – uh, you know, through Substack, it's, it is a premium service. There is free content as well. Um, you know, and so it's, if you sign up, you just get on the site. They'll ask you for an email address and uh, and a credit card, and that's pretty much all it takes to to get started. So yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun to do it uh, independently. Obviously, it's a lot more work when you're by yourself, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, it's it's been really rewarding to see you know people signing up for the site and and, and checking it out. But yeah, I have a full top 100 plus uh, about 20 i think they're not not quite uh, not that many but close in in for extras kind of guys that i want to also have reports on the record for so Mm -hmm. um and i may add a few more before it's all said and done just as i continue to to work through this class all right well what i asked you for was six guys that you think you might be uh, higher on than than uh, the consensus that might be out there uh, and uh, one guy that uh, you like but Probably not as much as uh, as most other people do, uh, and you gave me a nice list. So let's start at the top of that list. Matty Beniers uh, from the Michigan Wolverines. Um, tell me if you can, uh, if you'd like to, where he comes in on your final ranking and, and why you think you like him more than most people. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I have him at number two, and and I I feel like there has at least been some more recent movement in the last few weeks that you know he's he's fallen down the rankings a bit. For, for most other people, um, or not maybe not most other people, but for other people, I feel like he's solidly number two on this in this group. 
think he's the most versatile center in the entire draft. Um, you know, I, I think everybody loves the, the compete level of a Mason McTavish, but I, I feel like, you know, that Matty Deniers is right there, if not better. Um, I think he's, he does everything at a high pace. He's the kind of guy that you can win with. I think that, you know, he doesn't have the flashy offensive ability that you expect in a top two pick, but I think that he does so many, he is good offensively, but he does so many things well that it's just, I, I feel like he impacts your team in more ways than any other forward in this draft can. Um, so I feel very strongly that he's the number one forward in this group, despite the fact that his, you know, he may never have electric numbers, but I think he's going to be the guy that, that drives your team to, to winning. And I think he is a winner and a, and a guy that, that has the mentality and the work ethic to, you know, carry a team when he needs to and to do all the dirty work uh, as well. This point per game player at Michigan this year uh, as a freshman. Uh, I know he's a he's a um, a late birthday, born in November of uh, 2002, so missed last year's draft by about a month and a half. But uh, and sometimes when I look at those types of players, they look physically more mature, and you know he's got a pretty good facial growth to him and 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 things like that. You, is there any thought that well maybe he's closer to the finished product what we're seeing now? than others in this draft class. And I don't know if that's a positive or a negative, because that might mean he's closer to being, you know, NHL ready as well. But is he maybe closer to being the finished product and there might be less still upside for him? I, I think that's a good point, but I, I think that may be true of, you know, I certainly look at Luke Hughes who who's, you know, super young for this draft class, days, you know, born days before the cutoff. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot more runway for him, which is why, you know, I think there's, there, you, you do look at some of that upside, but I, I still feel like Veneers has room to grow. He can get stronger. He, you know, the fact that he's one of the speedier players and the fact that he has such high end hockey sense is really, you know, why I think he'll continue to grow as a player. I think that we've only seen him scratch the surface at Michigan of what he can be capable of. Um, I think, you know, if you look from his year-to-year progression at the National Team Development Program, he did play as an underager with that 2001 birth year, which is an incredibly hard roster to crack. Um, but, you know, he's playing with Jack Hughes and Cole Caulfield and all those guys, and he was the only underage player to do that. So, you know, and then the following year, he was their most dominant forward, hmm. in, you know, when nobody's really looking at him for the draft. And then he goes to Michigan, and, and really, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Thomas Bordalo was the Big Ten's Rookie of the Year, but Michigan's Rookie of the Year for their team at their end-of-season banquet was Maddie Beneers. Mm. Uh, well, they had lots of options. Maybe they somebody else split yeah. the voters. They did. Yeah. They did, yeah. All right, let's go to the next guy on the list. And uh, if he was from you know rural Minnesota, he'd be Isaac Rosen, but he's from Sweden, uh, and it's uh, over there it's pronounced Isak Rosian. Um, this is a forward. I know there's a, a segment of the population, scouting population, that really, really likes him. But he might just be kind of there for other people. But he's on your mm-hmm. list of one of your personal favorites. Uh, tell me why. Yeah, I think you know he's. I, I view him as a potential you know, top twenty, top twenty pick. I know there are others that that don't feel that way, but I, I think that his his overall profile is one of uh, of of speed which is rare in this class. It's not, you know, he's, he's explosive. Um, he has some, some, uh, some great scoring ability. You know, he shoots well off the pass, a good stationary shooter, shoots well off the rush. Um, I think there are some genuine and, and, and probably warranted concerns about his overall skill set in terms of 
you know, hand skills? Can he beat defenders one-on-one? Um, I think the fact that he plays with the pace that he does, you know, you can't, you, there's only so many levels where you can continually blow past defensemen. Um, you know, so that's something that he'll have to do. The, the one thing that, that really stands out to me is, is as I watched him this year, my concern in the professional games that he played was that he played with pace, but he didn't seem to think the game at a high pace. However, when I saw him at the, you know, with his own age group, I mm-hmm. saw him making plays at speed. I saw him doing things with pace and, and making decisions quickly. And I think that that's kind of indicative of, you know, being in your own age group and being able to understand the, the pace of the game. It is a different pace. Um, but I, I, that to me at least shows me that there's more for him to learn at the pro level. And once he gets that timing and confidence, that he'll be that much more of a, of an impact player when he gets there. So I, I think for me, a guy like Rosine is, uh, is, you know, just kind of scratching the surface of the player that he can be. And the fact that this is a draft where there just isn't a ton of great skating ability. You know, I, I, I like to bet on a guy that has his skating ability, even if I feel like there might be a couple minor deficiencies in some other areas. Um, you know, I don't think there's so much that, that he shouldn't be in that top 20 conversation. There's a number of uh, young Swedish players who played in the SHL this year, and all of them, it's it's consistent with all of them, I think, basically, except maybe William Eklund because he's a year older, but like virtually no production at the SHL right. level. But as you mentioned, you get with your peer group and they stand out. And I mean, Rossian had nine points in, in the seven games down in Texas. Uh, and that, that just seems to me like, okay, let's take the SHL numbers almost right out of the equation is maybe they're only playing five or six minutes a night, right? Right. Yeah. It's a really important, you know, if, you, if you're looking at those players and you say, oh, what, you know, why does this guy only have three points? And you, you say, well, oh, he's only played five minutes a game, you know, like, and then, like you said, and, um, you know, I think with him, you know, it, the teams were kind of forced this year to put players into the SHL um, because the, the junior league was shut down and they didn't want these guys just sit, sitting there and not playing. So they moved them to Hockey Eton or, or all Svenskin or if they were within a program, you know, going to the SHL team. And so there wasn't really a, a defined role for them there. And I think Rosine is one of those guys where that was absolutely true. Then he goes to the World Under-18 and no Swedish player. And you think about all the great Swedes that have played in that tournament in, in the under-18 championship, none has ever scored as many goals as he did. He scored seven. Wow. And so that's, that's a pretty significant and, and he was, you know, you think about there were, there were guys like Simon Robertson, William Strongren that were on this, this team, and then Fabian Lucell, of course, Liam Dower-Nielsen, those, those guys that people, you know, view as, as quality prospects. And I thought that Rosine was probably, outside of Lucell, was, was one of the, the best players and, and really a driver for that team and scored a lot of big goals, too. It wasn't just that he was scoring against Belarus and even well, Belarus is pretty good this year, but you know, some bad example on that. But just the you know the 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 weaker teams, he wasn't beating up on them. He was scoring big goals for them. Yeah, and seems like a sniper, like a, a natural scorer, because it seems like every level he's got point per game numbers, but it's weighted much more to putting the puck in the net than than assists. He seems to be the guy with the trigger. Right. Yeah, and I think that that's also one of those things where like, is he you know how is he in terms of you know the hockey sense of the vision, those things like that. I think those those are genuine you know, concerns about his overall game. Cause you don't want, I, th- I don't think that NHL teams want guys that are pure shooters, like simply shooters. I mean, you watch, you know, we saw Cole Caulfield score 70 plus goals and then all of a sudden he starts passing the puck a ton at the NHL level. And 
Um, you know, and, and it shows that he's got that ability. You want guys that have that, that shot pass threat ability. And so I think that's something that could develop over time. But Rosine's uh, vision is certainly not going to be one of those things where you say that's an absolute strong point for him. Chris Peters is my guest. He's uh, from Hockey Sense, where he does his own stuff. Back to the independent coverage from uh, Chris Peters, which is always great. Uh, let's get to a Russian that you have on your list to chat about. Uh, he's not huge, 5'11", 175-ish pounds, but that's certainly not too small to play in the NHL. Lots of guys his size in the league now. Uh, and we're talking about uh, Prohor Poltapov. Uh, I know nothing about him, so fill me in and educate me. But his numbers, <laughs> his numbers look fantastic. Yeah, his numbers are fantastic, and you know he's an average-sized guy who is an okay skater. I don't think that we're going to say that he's a burner, that he's a guy that's going to going to beat you that way. But he's got quickness, he's got excellent hand skills, and as you mentioned, high high level of production in the MHL. You know, he was the the highest leading the, the leading scorer among U18 players in the MHL this year. So, you know, this is a guy, it's a U20 league. So to be doing that at 17, pretty impressive, you know, he, it, among his age peers, uh, played at the under 18 world championship, scored some highlight real goals there, uh, just toe dragged uh, about a million people. It feels like, and, uh, and, and really, you know, he can get around the defense and good one-on-one hand skills. But I think the thing that separates him, is that he's not just a skill player. I think the work ethic that he has to dig for pucks, the, the competitiveness that he plays with, his ability to get inside and get close to the net and get and, and score from those dirty areas, those are all important things. Uh, I think the, the fact that you know that he's Russian, that he's got average size and, and probably average skating is not typically the guy that you see with a first-round profile. For, for me, he's, he's kind of an end of the, a fringe first-rounder um, where, you know, whereas I think a lot of people see him as a very solidly second rounder into the, the, you know, the late second round. Um, I just feel like his profile, his, you know, his statistical profile, his skills, his intelligence, his competitiveness are all things that, you know, gives him an edge over guys that, that may have only one or two of those things that, that are available. And I feel like that's the story of this draft class is there are, there are very few complete players in this in this class where you can just say that guy can do it all um i feel like poltapov is is one of those guys that can and then has a a real high-end offensive skill set that would allow him to produce so i i I don't uh you know i i think that he could end up being one of the better russians to come out of this draft um even though i i do have chibrikov and svechkov higher than him Mm -hmm. um on my personal rankings i i feel like he's very much you know, in the mix as being a high-impact player at the end of the first round into the second round of this draft. All right. Uh, and you have a couple of Finns to chat about as well, and uh, Samo Tuomala uh, is uh, one of those guys. Could be maybe a, a first-round or a late set or an early second-round pick uh, for a lot of people. What about for you, Chris? Yeah, he's for me, I, I think he's first-round all day. Um, I, I think that, you know, even more so than Poltapov, I, I feel like, um, Tuomala is one of the best natural goal scorers in this class. He is an, he shoots with purpose. I mean, really, you know, he, he, he's, he's got an accurate shot. He's got a hard shot, really good release. He's got a good one timer. He scores in many different ways, but he's not just a shooter. He does have, you know, good, good numbers in terms of distrib- distribution and also, you know, his ability to play in transition. I think the biggest thing that I needed to see from him at the world under 18 this year was the pace that he was able to play with. And I thought that he dictated the pace in a lot of shifts that he played. He was able to play with speed. He put he challenged defensemen one-on-one. He's got some more quickness. And that didn't always show up on video for me. 
Um, and, and skating in general is difficult to judge off a video just because of even, even from where the camera is placed in the arena can have a, can have an impact on how you're viewing a, a player skating. But, you know, for me to see him play with the quickness that he did, he's not a big guy. He's not an overly strong guy yet that I feel like you can, you know, put on some strength and, and be a, a little bit tougher, you know, but that, that pace is really what intrigued me. And to be able to see that and then to have his offensive skill set, um, that, that's all, those are all the things that really made me believe that, Hey, this is, this guy needs to be in the first round of this class. There's not a lot of, of, um, you know, high end scoring ability like his, that'll be available late that can also play with a little bit of pace. So all those things really contributed for me putting him where I did, which is, you know, basically in the, the latter half of the first round. He was the top point getter for Finland down in Texas uh, at the at the World U18. At the next level, do you see him more as a, a shooter or a setup guy? Yeah, I think he's probably more of a shooter. I think, he, you know, he's probably going to be one of those guys you have on the power play working the half wall. Um, and then also just, you know, you're, you want him to have that trigger ability on the power play as well. Um, yeah, so I, I, I view him more as like a top six scoring winger if he if everything goes right for him. Okay. Uh, the other uh, Finn to chat about is uh, bigger. Um, Tuomala was uh, what I think he's listed at five ten, uh, but uh, Nico Huttinen is six uh, one and over two hundred pounds at this point. So uh, uh, a much different style of player. Production uh, pretty good this year as well. Didn't produce as much as at the at the World U eighteen as Tuomala did, but. Uh, what sort of impression did uh, Hootenden make on you? Yeah, well, I just like saying his name, yeah. for one. Uh, I love saying Nico Hootenden, uh, or Hootenden. Yeah, I, I like the emphasis you put on it even better. Um, <laughs> I, I think the thing, you know, when we get to the middle stages of the draft, um, and I think he'll be a mid-round pick, uh, you know, I think you're looking for players that can play, you know, an NHL-style game. You're, you know, you hope you, you you certainly still look for stars, but I think that the more you focus on just on skill or on things like, you know, other things that or speed or just one dimensional kind of things, I think you, you might leave something on the table because you're really trying to find ultimately NHL players, guys you're going to sign the contracts. And I think the thing about Putinen that is so fascinating is, as you mentioned, he's a big guy. He's strong. He's very thick. Might be a little out of shape. He probably needs to lose a little bit of weight, actually. But he is a a beast in front of the net. Really good hands in tight. I think that you know he's not just a net front presence. Let me tip it in. Let me you know do this. Let me screen the goalie. I think he's got good hands in tight. He's got a good feel for you know how to make plays at the net front. Um, you know he he plays physically. He's got drive. He's got good competitiveness. And I think the the main problem. And the reason I have him as a mid-round pick, but still like him, right. uh, you know, his, his skating ability is not not at a level yet. But I don't think it's beyond repair. Um, so I I feel like there's value to be gained from a player at his size and his strength and his ability as an up front. I you know that you take a look at those types of skills and you say, okay, can we work with him on the skating? I think his hockey sense is fine. I think he has a good feel for the game. Um, but yeah, but I mean, ultimately it's going to come down to, is he a good enough skater? So I have him, you know, kind of like as a third round kind of guy. Um, he might fall beyond that. But, but to me, I think that, 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 that the things that he does, NHL teams still very much need. And uh, he, can, he can provide that. 
All right, that's uh, Nico Huttinen. Uh, as uh, I, I like the Finnish names too because they're they're kind of lyrical. They almost have a, like a melody when you say it. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, they're fun to say. The, okay, the last guy on the the uh, the thumbs up list from you, Chris, is uh, a, a guy that I started to like uh, here as the draft gets closer and closer as well, and that's uh, Matthew Nyes, who uh, played in the USHL for the uh, Tri City Storm. He's going to Minnesota. Interesting. He's from Phoenix. Uh, but going to Minnesota uh-huh. for his uh, NCAA career. But, I mean, what's not the like? 6'3", 205 pounds. Uh, where do you have him in your rankings? A lot. Of, I know a lot of people will have him second, maybe even third round. Uh, I'd be surprised right. if he's there in the third round. Yeah, I have him I have him as a top 40 pick. You know, I think that that's with a, with a chance to sneak into the first round. You know, I think that he is as close as you're going to find in this draft is a, as a good power winger. Um, you know, I, I think that he'll play wing and, and, and be, a, be a guy that, that kind of finishes plays off for you, gets to the net front, really good shot on him. Um, you know, his beginning of the season was not good. Like he, he was really like, I had him coming into the year as a likely first round draft prospect. And, as the year, as the early season progressed in the USHL, I didn't see much from him that would have suggested that he's a first round talent. But then I started to see over the course of the season, he really did rediscover his game. I thought that he, you know, he's played some with Carter Mazur, who's another guy that's on my list as a second year eligible. Um, and, and they, they really seem to play off each other pretty well in the games that I saw when they were, were, were together. And I just think that Nyes is, his size profile, you know, he's, he's, he's fine skating. Like he's not going to be a huge strength, but he, he can get up and down the ice. He's physical. He needs to get meaner. Like there's no, at his size, he needs to be a bigger physical presence for sure. Um, but I think that his, his offensive ability and the, and the size package that he brings to the table, it really is something that you don't have a ton of in this draft class. And so, that's why for me, and it, towards the end of the season, he really started producing and putting up a lot of goals that, you know, he's well over a point per game in the latter half of the season um, and, and just really started to, to shine. So, you know, especially now, I think there was a time, there was a period of time, not all that long ago when a player was going to Minnesota and that was almost looked at as a strike against him because Minnesota was having a harder time producing high end pro players. Um, they've had plenty of NHL players over the years, but that, you know, I think there was a concern among scouts and, and among general managers for sure. I mean, even Garth Snow purposely pulled Kyle Oposo out of there after the first half of his freshman season. So, mm. um, I mean, it happened plenty. Now with the Bob Mosco is there, I think NHL teams are feeling much more comfortable about players, um, going there because Mosco was a, he was able to produce NHL players at St. Cloud State. Um, and, and not getting the top, top end guys and it was still able to help them develop. I think we're seeing that now with the guys that are going to, to Minnesota. I think about how, how much better Ryan Johnson was this year compared to last and same with, uh, you know, Jackson McCombs. So, you know, I think that they're, they're, they're proving that they can, they can produce guys and, and Sammy Walker is another great example who's really, really developed over the last couple of years as a, as a potential pro prospect and, and another Tampa Bay Lightning draftee that, you know, late late guy who will probably pan out. Um, yeah, Scott Reedy's another one. Yeah. Samparanta, both of them. Samparanta, yeah. So I mean, they've had guys that are coming through there that are that are looking really like like they're developing. And, and Rance is a good example. Now, Rance is an absolute speed demon, which which Nyes is not, but he developed a real strong power game there. And and I think that's what you're going to want to see from Nyes. He's he's kind of the natural replacement, even though he's not going to be able to 
replace the lightning speed of Ranta. But, you know, I, I just think that that's, you still need power forwards in the game. And if you can get guys to drive the net and can make plays at the net front, it helps you a lot. And that's why I think Nyes, as, as a guy who could be a very early second round pick, if not the very end of day one, um, he'll be real interesting. Is is Nyes, is the skating for him, is it bad? Is he a bad skater or only in comparison to Ranta? No, I would say, yeah, only in comparison to Ranta, which isn't really even fair because that guy can absolutely motor. But, um, but yeah, but I'm just saying you're more just, to have that power winger that can score goals, which is what Rantel was this last year, I think that's going to be a that's that's the that's the role he's going to be able to fill. All right, that's Matthew Nyes headed to uh, the University of Minnesota to play for the Golden Gophers. Now, I asked for a, a player uh, that you would suggest that uh, you like, uh, but not as much as most other people. And if you're an NHL team, this guy is going to get drafted earlier than you would be prepared to take him, and that's a good thing because that means somebody else that you like better gets pushed down to you. And the name that you've given me, well, it's a popular choice for people this year on both sides of the ledger. Some love him, some are in your camp uh, as well. Scott Morrow, defenseman, we uh, saw him at Shattuck. Well, he's been at Shattuck for the last five seasons, uh, the same team for the last three years. Uh, why is he on uh, this side of the ledger for you? Well, you know, he's he is an interesting player because he was, you know, pretty dominant in terms of his level of production and what he did at Shattuck this year. Um, however, most players his age have moved on to junior hockey. He's a late O2, but still playing prep hockey. And I think about the guys that stayed that extra year and, you know, either go directly to college or, you know, <laughs> just did, it didn't quite work out for him. So that was kind of strike one. And I had him a little bit higher in my midterms just because, you know, I'd watched a lot of his games at Shattuck and I really liked, you know, his mobility and, and the way that he moved offensively and the, the, the skill that he had with the puck on his stick. But then he played in the USHL at the end of the season for the Fargo force. And the, I think the immaturity in his game was exposed and, it, and it's only natural because he had, you know, he's playing against, you know, U18 players all year. And then he goes up to a, a league like the USHL into the playoffs and has to suddenly perform. And I think defensively he was exposed to decision-making, you know, bad reads and not, not a lot of urgency in the defensive zone, plenty of urgency when the puck was on his stick. And I don't think you can have that, that difference in the, especially not in the USHL. You can get away with it in, in U18. So I feel like that, had he played the full season in the USHL, I feel like his draft stock would have been a lot higher. And that's not to say any, you know, Shattuck St. Mary's is a great developer of pro talent. There's no mm -hmm. question about it. We saw Jackson McComb stay there and, and get drafted and everything and, 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 you know, play immediately in the, in college. Um, it's also, so the other thing is Morrow is, this is a good thing. Morrow is headed to the university of Massachusetts. He was supposed to go to, North Dakota. Um, I believe North Dakota had, had told him that they would prefer that he spend a year in junior before coming and then decided to go to UMass. Um, and I, I wonder if he's ready for college hockey right. next season. I think the pace is going to eat him up a little bit. Um, and, and you're looking at a longer development trajectory because he's, you know, they made a decision, you know, he made a decision to stay at Shattuck, which, you know, doesn't really propel you forward. So, um, you know, at, at, at his age, at his age, as an as a late O2, I think, you know, had he played the whole year in the USHL, I think a lot more teams would feel comfortable. But 
I mean, you talk to NHL scouts and they're, you know, they're frustrated. They're frustrated by what, what they saw this year because I think that a lot of them believe that the player has a lot of potential. Um, and it's really hard to read. But, I mean, I think back to, um, you know, I, I don't think that he'll go in the first round. Um, I have him, you know, still as a top 50 pick uh, because I think that his offensive package is such that, you know, it's not um, it's not something that you can really – deny and the fact that he's going to UMass which has done such a phenomenal job developing defense and I feel like they're going to get him to where he needs to get to um, but I just think there's so much risk if you if you draft him earlier you know than then 50 <laughs> you know like that I feel like you're you're you could be leaving quite a bit more on the table and taking on an, an undue amount of risk for a player that you know ultimately has some significant deficiencies in his in the way that he reads the game and the, and the maturity in the game at this point. Yeah, I almost get the sense that, you know, he's going to go to college this year, but maybe we should expect him to not have, you know, a, a fantastic year. It's more of a growth year, get acclimated to that level. And then in year two and three, we'll see what he, what he does. But I'm with you. I think a year of playing in the USHL would have, even before you get to college, a lot of guys need that step, uh, and he probably right. should have done it this year. Right, and I think that that was the hope that, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that had he done that, he was still gone to North Dakota and everything like that too. Um, you know, which is another great de- developer of defensemen. But, mm-hmm. and, and, and the reason that I, I think the other thing that hurt Morrow is that Shy Bluyam w- was on the same track as he was. And then he did go to the USHL. Yeah. He, he did, he did have, uh, um, you know, he did have a good season. He's trending up. As a result, he got better as the year went on. He proved that he could produce at the USHL level. And, you know, he's, he's not an amazingly blazing skater, but he found, figured out his defensive footwork. He, you know, there are just so many pieces of growth in his game at Sioux City that that's why I think a lot of people, you know, view Scott Morrill a little bit differently because there's an example of a teammate of his at Shattuck that made a different decision and seemed to propel himself forward in a very significant way, as opposed to how Morrow spent most of the season where Shattuck was continually getting shut down and had to make a lot of changes, didn't play a lot of games. So that's another, you know, kind of downside. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. All right, Chris, uh, you mentioned where people can uh, check out your rankings. Uh, what do you do for the draft? Are you like, it's not a big event where you can go and attend this year. So uh, how are you kind of covering that? Well, I will be enjoying the draft from a hotel room in Plymouth, Michigan, uh, because the, the, uh, and oh, I'll be covering right. it live from there, but we've got the World Junior Summer Showcase coming up, right? The, it starts on day two of the draft. Right. So great, great timing, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, but, it, but that's where I'm going to be. So I'll be, uh, doing live coverage. There will, there will be some amount of the content, uh, that's done on draft night that will be free on Hockey Sense and then also, There'll be some post-draft analysis that'll be um, for subscribers only, but I, I, I'm really excited to do it. I'm just going to ch- try and play with a different, couple different things and, and formats and different ways to evaluate the draft as it's going on and trying to, you know, let my readers see kind of how my brain works in the, in the moment. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to do that, but yeah, I'll be, I'll be watching it on TV like everybody else and trying to make the most of, uh, of that experience. Terrific. I'm glad to hear that. Chris, I appreciate your time as always and uh, looking forward to having you on again here, uh, maybe in the off season, but probably closer to the fall. And uh, as we get to kick off, hopefully, knock on wood, uh, a normal 2021-22 season. 
Yeah, thanks a lot, Key. It's great to be with you. And yeah, let's get back to normal as soon as possible, please. Here we go. Chris Peters uh, from Hockey Sense. Uh, he used to be with uh, Sports Illustrated, uh, ESPN. But whenever he's been on the program, going back, must be over a decade now for sure. Uh, all the way back to uh, the United States of Hockey days uh, when that was his blog way back when. Uh, he's always been a fantastic guest on the show, knows his stuff, goes to the tournaments and all of those things. So really value his opinion, and I was glad that he was able to make time for the Pipeline show once again. All right, next up, another scout, of course, and uh, this time it's going to be Tony Ferrari from Dauber Hockey, uh, and we're going to get uh, his opinion on six guys that uh, he's pretty high on and one guy that he's not quite as high on. We'll do that next via the Troubled Monk Hotline. This is the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Stutzler, back to Sider, across to Bach. Dominic Bach, great pass in for Stutzler, slides it back across, they score! Hello, this is Tim Stutzler from Mannheim, and this is the Pipeline Show. Troubled Monk Brew of the Week sure is a tasty one. Bud, what is it? Bucktooth Belgian White, a light and citrusy, flavorful beer. This Belgian White is a perfect patio pint. Try it with a freshly cut orange to brighten up your already sunny day. Player comparable, Patrick Kane knows what season to turn it on and has splashes of brilliance. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. Troubled Monk craft beverages worth sharing you're listening to the pipeline show with gee flaming is the cheapest drug there is and we're back on the pipeline show and uh, of course the program brought to you by Wilhock beef jerky the best beef jerky in all of Alberta I don't know if my next guest is a big beef jerky fan but I guess maybe we could start there uh Tony Ferrari from Dauber Hockey and uh I don't know are you a big beef jerky guy oh of course the little beef jerky nuggets those are my favorite all right well we'll have to get you some Wilhock if you uh, make it up for maybe are you coming for the world junior championship in uh, in December Oh, I'd like to try. I don't know if I'll get there, but uh, that's certainly the goal. All right. Well, if you do, there'll be some uh, Wilhock beef jerky waiting for you here uh, upon arrival. Uh, all right. I asked everybody for six guys that uh, that you like uh, maybe more than the consensus and one other guy that's uh, on the other side of that uh, situation. Uh, now, are you coming to me representing Dauber's opinion, or is this right from your own list? Because I know you put that out as well. This is right from my own list. Uh, the Dauber team has a ton of favorites of their own, and we don't agree on everybody, but at least a few of these guys we definitely agree on. All right. Well, we'll start. Uh, I kind of will go in order from your highest guy that uh, that you've given me, and uh, that would be goaltender Jesper Wallstead, who on your list you have him number three, and you, you say that you could make a, a pretty good case for him being the number one guy in the draft this year. It's not often we talk about goaltenders this high uh, in the first round, um, why are you such a fan of Wallstead? I think the biggest thing with Wallstead is we haven't really seen a goaltender that's been this technically sound, this like controlled in his crease and under like, under himself in his own game. In, in I don't, I, don't, I can't even remember to be completely honest. I was a kid when Carey Price was coming up, so that's my that's my assumption on on who the last guy that kind of gave this feeling was because 
as much as I was a fan of Asparov last year, he has some wild tendencies to his game. He's a little bit up and down at times, and he relies on his athleticism an incredible amount. Whereas Walset, he's this in te- technically sound, I, I don't like calling him a robot because a lot of people take that negatively, but he's a robot in his net. He understands exactly what movement he needs to make ma- next. He tracks the puck at a level that's elite to, to a degree that you don't see in goaltenders at his age. And, and quite frankly, we, we just haven't seen a goaltender perform this well and p- play a full season in the SHL just like he just did. So there's so many things going in his favor and in, like I just don't see any other player in this draft that can truly be a franchise-changing talent the way Walsett can be. Well, he's a big guy, so he's got that working in his favor. I just had him on the show, must be two, three weeks ago, and he talked about how his season started out really strong, but it kind of he struggled as the, as the year went on. Is that a concern at all for you? Uh, it is a little bit of a concern, as it is with any other player in in, in this draft. You look at anybody from like Fabian Lysel to William Eklund, who who even kind of slowed down towards the end of the year, but. With a guy like Wallstedt, the fact of the matter is, like I said, he was playing against men all season long. He didn't play against his own age group except for the, those few games of the World Juniors where arguably he was the better goalie. And in, in my opinion, Sweden would have gone a lot further if they had played him in the in the elimination round rather than Hugo Olnefeld. And, and that's nothing against Hugo Olnefeld, who's probably a top 10 goalie prospect in the world at the moment. So it's just really impressive to see what Wallstedt's been able to do. He, he's still a, an 18-year-old playing against men. So yeah, he did struggle towards the end of the year, but Man, the, the results he put up, through, especially through the first 12, 15 games of his year, because I think he played just a, just over 20, but those first 12 to 15 games, it was just so remarkably incredible that you, even with the down year, he still finished with, I think, a 908 day percentage. I know he's uh, under contract for another year at Lulio, but uh, the Portland Winterhawks acquired his uh, WHL rights. He told me flat out that he's waiting until after the draft, and, and he'll talk to the NHL team that selects him. Uh, on where, what he should do. I, I, I would find it strange to leave professional hockey to go back and, and play against juniors, but uh, do you have a take on that? Uh, I, I think you should stay in the SHL. Just continue playing against men, continue doing things that goalies his age haven't done yet. And if he does go back to the, or if he does go to the Portland Winterhawks and the WHL, then that's going to be a thing where the team was like, hey, like we want you close so we can monitor things. But at, at the end of the day, I think he's probably going to spend one more year over there. And I think he's one of those guys that can come over earlier as a goalie and maybe make an impact as a 20, 21-year-old, as we've seen with guys like Carter Hart and now Spencer Knight and stuff in the last few years. You can play 25, 30 games against pros in Sweden. Or, I mean, if he did go to Portland, he'd probably play 55 games. So I guess there's that yeah. uh, that argument to be made as well. All right, next guy on your list, another Swede, uh, Fabian Lassell, who another guy I had on the show fairly recently, seems to be a bit of a, a polarizing guy. Some some seem to be pretty high on him, others not so much. You are. Uh, tell me why. Fabian Lassell, the thing with him is he plays with such an incredible pace and we look at this draft, and it, there's a lot of themes in drafts. And this year's draft is it's a little bit of a, a weaker class with, with what a lot of people are considering it. And, and at the end of the day, it's not a very good skating class overall. And, and we see a lot of players that you look at their, their one big flaw, and a lot of time is skating this year. And with Fabian Liesel, that's not an issue. He might be the best skater in the class, and he's certainly the most electric and fast skater in the class. The way this guy is able to pressure, pressure defenses and push p- players back on their heels with his speed, and then the ability to change it up and, and use the sk- incredible skill he has at that top speed. There are still times where he messes the puck up and, and, draw, and bobbles the puck, but because he's so fast, because he's so quick, he's generally the guy that's getting on it before anyone else. Uh, his big issue this year that a lot of people had an issue with is there are some off-ice concerns, but every time everyone I talk to seems to have 
a, a slightly different story and no one can quite get it figured out. So uh, from, from what I've been able to kind of reconcile by talking to people through even over in Sweden and in a few other places around here uh, and scouts and stuff is that there's a lot of concern over the fact that he decided to get traded mid or he requested a trade, sorry, mid season from Ferlanda to Lulio system. And in every time any player kind of at his age does something like that, people are going to be a little bit upset. People are going to be a little bit worried and they're going to be concerned with that. But at the end of the day, I've talked to this kid a couple of times. He seems like a great kid. We've broken down tape together and he seems to understand his game and understand his flaws at a really high level. So He's not a player that I'm necessarily worried about, but he's similar to uh, Lucas Raymond last year where the production at the SHL level wasn't there. So you're kind of like, you do have that concern, but in a class like this where there really isn't a star, there really isn't that franchise-altering player like I alluded to earlier with Walsett, taking a chance on a guy like Lee Sell in the top five might be worth it because he could be one of the very few players in this draft that have an actual top pair ups, or top line upside who could score at a point-per-game pace if everything works out. Yeah, I'm looking at the SHL production, not just for him, but for everybody that's not William Eklund, and Eklund because he's, this was year two at the pro level for him. But take those numbers and just throw them away because the, not, nobody, none of these kids produced because they're playing five or six minutes a game. But when you get them back with their their age group, like LaSalle did at the World U18, it, it's, he stands out, right? So, um, yeah, I think we really got to... Uh, almost ignore the SHL numbers for a lot of these players. I'm going to quickly interject that if you're hearing pounding in the background, I apologize for that. Uh, there's renovations happening on my house right now. <laughs> and it sounds like they're right outside my window, so I apologize if that's coming through. All right, let's go to the next guy. Ayrton Martino played in the USHL this year. Uh, love the name Ayrton uh, because he's named after Ayrton Senna, the former F1 driver from Brazil. I don't know. You're too young, Tony, to remember that name, but as a guy yourself with a with a fast name, uh, you might have some respect for Ayrton and know what uh, you know how he identifies with uh, a name like that as well. Yeah, I mean this kid, uh, fast is the name of his, his game. He's a ton of fun to watch. He might be my favorite player to watch in this draft class completely. And I, I'm a big fan of Lysel and big fan of Wallstep. But man, Ayrton Martino, the skill, the precision, the timing and anticipation he plays with—it's just really incredible. He, he, there's a really unique aspect of his game where at five on five defensively, that's a big area of concern for a lot of scouts with his game. Like he, there are times where you're watching him and he's kind of floating around the blue line. He's, he's a winger, so it's not really a huge concern, but there, there is that concern that his defensive kind of flaws are a little bit uh, obvious at times. But on the penalty kill, he's one of my favorite players to watch on the penalty kill this year. He's, he's so aggressive. He's, he anticipates pl- plays and passes and, and offensive plays so well that he's able to jump those passing lanes. He's able to jump the, the on the loose puck. And when he does, he's got the game-breaking ability to outskill a player, deke a player in the, the neutral zone, and, and then just dangle the goalie out of his jock. It, it's, it's incredibly impressive the stuff he's able to do on the penalty kill. And the five-on-five five scoring and offensive game is just ridiculous. He's, he's able to score. He's able to make incredible playmaking passes and stuff. This is a kid that you look at and you're like, man, if he hits, there's something special here. And, and I, he's not a guy that, that's projected very high on a lot of boards. I think on my board, he's at 19 or 20. And on a lot of boards, he's outside the first round. I think Craig Button just released his. and He was right around 60. And it's like, if there's a team that can get this guy towards the end of the second round, like that could be the steal of the draft. Not the biggest guy in the world. And I, I'm guessing that's what teams would shy away from. But at 5'10", 170-ish pounds, even if he grows another inch or, or so, or doesn't grow at all, there's guys this size playing in the NHL now, so it, it shouldn't be as big a concern anymore. Yeah, I think the big thing with him is it's the size and, and the fact that 
his actual top speed, despite the fact that he plays really fast, he plays at a high pace, his top speed in the straight line isn't necessarily going to blow anyone away. Mm. So there's, there's concerns about that as well, but the, the agility, the quickness, that's everything else is there that you, you'd look for in a player. So I don't get too concerned with top speed being the only issue in the skating. And the other thing is, he played in the OJHL last year. He went to the BCHL for preseason this year and then wound up in the USHL this year. So he's got tape from all over the place right now. And, and scouts are tr- still trying to catch up on that because, let's be honest, people don't really pay attention to the, the OJHL all that much in draft circles. Uh, the, the, the BCHL, as much as it's coming up, it's still not the most popular league in the world. And this year it was up and down and not and barely played at all, if, if, if any games. So it, it was really interesting to see him kind of jump around from, to three different leagues and just completely dominated at times uh, at all three of them. Yeah, 56 points in 38 games for Omaha this year. Uh, probably, well, he had 38 of those points were, were assists, so uh, seems to be more of a playmaker than a shooter, but with 18 goals, he can score too. So interesting player there, Aaron Martino uh, from the Omaha Lancers. Going to Clarkson, does I mean, Clarkson in, in that conference, they're one of the perennial powerhouse teams in the conference, but uh, it's not necessarily a program that uh, produces a ton of NHL talent. No, and I think that's that's changing. You're starting to get a few more bigger commits to to Clarkson. I know there's a couple commits for the 2022 draft that are that are going to go there that are high, higher end prospects. And I, I think it's one of those things where you're starting to see college become a bigger bigger route and more popular route. So these higher end talents are going to start going to these colleges that aren't necessarily Boston College or or Boston University, right? It's it's not those three those two in Michigan basically or North Dakota. It, it, there's more colleges like Clarkson coming out that, like you said, they're perennial powerhouses. So kids are like, hey, if I can bring my talent to that school and, and kind of incorporate their, their system into my game, what could come of it? And I think Ayrton Martino is going to be a perfect example of that. All right, let's go to the next uh, player. That would be a Finnish defenseman, Alexi Hemosalmi, who uh, was, I thought he was terrific at the World U18. Uh, I didn't get to see him at all at any other time during the year. I'm not a scout, but uh, you are. Uh, what sort of impression did he make on you, Tony? Oh, man, he's just one of these guys where you look at the stat line, you're like, it's good, it's not crazy, but it's good. And then you watch the game, and you're like, this stat line should be way better. Like, there's there's an element to his game that you, you can just feel it's about to pop off in, in terms of being able to produce at a high level. But the the way this kid was able to dominate at the World Under-18s, his skating mobility, it's just really, really impressive. And then his instincts with the puck on his stick are just incredible he, he's one of the best playmakers in in breakout passes from the, from his own zone in the draft i think from the back end i think his ability to kind of shift in and make plays at the, the offensive blue line with his mobility in all three in all four directions is really impressive you see him dangle guys all the time like there's a lot to like here and in uh, he's a smaller defenseman teams are going to be concerned about that as they always are and it's understandable for sure but his defensive game is actually quite good. He doesn't play. He's not a guy that's going to bang, obviously, with being a smaller defenseman. But he anticipates play. He really reads play well and reads the routes that the forwards are taking. And he's able to kind of step into it, take the puck off their stick, and almost seamlessly start the rush without even feeling like he's going through a secondary motion. It's just one motion up the ice. So he's a guy that I, I got attracted to really early in the year, and I just kept going, man, like, why is he not on any list? And then I remember around January, I started tweeting about him and posting about him and, and kind of putting him on my rankings fairly high. And people were like, who is this? And I had one NHL team uh, scout message me and be like, can you please not tell people about him? And I'm like, ah, so people are paying attention. So that was one of my little wins for the year. But man, Hamo Salmi has been one of my favorite players all year. Like it, it, it won't shock me if he goes in the first round, but I certainly don't expect it. All right. You do have him at the tail end of uh, your first round. Um, 
uh, here's a player I don't really know a whole lot about. He was on a team that had so many uh, draft eligible players and so much offense. Uh, but Jack Barr, who comes in at six two and just shy of two hundred pounds, defenseman with the Chicago Steel. Uh, tell me about Jack Barr. Jack Barr was a guy that I was kind of not not necessarily low on, but he was a guy that wasn't super on my radar from a lot of the year. And then as the Chicago Steel were kind of starting to run up to the playoffs and just completely dominating the USHL as we've kind of become accustomed to, he was kept popping up on tape. And it was always when I was watching someone else, I'd be like, oh, well, who's this guy? Oh, wow, he's really good. And I I write notes down on him. And and there were so many things that he does well from just understanding where to be on the ice and how to play his game and play to his strengths because he's not a player that's incredibly toolsy by any means, but he's just so smart. His offensive instincts on, on when to pinch are really good. He's not a guy that's going to blow the doors off. He's, I don't think he's an offensive guy at the next level necessarily, but I think he's going to be one of these guys that are really good two-way presence. I, he reminds me a lot of Matthias Ekholm, where he has good tools but not great tools, but because his mind is so good, because he's, his instincts are so good, he's able to come, bring those tools up and, and play at a much higher level than kind of expected for what he really is. I get the sense that, as you mentioned, not a ton of offense, 15 points in 34 games this year, which isn't terrible, but might not be his calling card at the next level, uh, and even in college, he's going to Harvard eventually. But more of a stay-at-home, maybe not quite stay-at-home defenseman, but uh, you know, make that first pass to get it out of your zone and, and kind of let everybody else take care of the offense. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that someone brought up to me this year was there, there's a lot of labels with defensive defenseman, offensive defenseman, and transitional guys, right? And, and I think there's there's a, there's kind of a gray area in between where he can be a defensive transitional guy, and I think that's what Jack Barr really is. He's He's a guy that really knows how to close out play. He's not afraid to close on the body and, and close off along the boards and everything. But he's also got the skill and the ability to skate the puck out or make a really nice breakout pass. Like you said, I, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be this offensive dynamo. I don't expect that at the, end, the next level. But as a guy that can kind of put up 25, 30 points at an NHL level, playing second-pairing minutes at, at, uh, and possibly playing second power play maybe it, it really depends on where his offensive game settles but mm. i think he's gonna be a guy that's really valuable to an nhl team in all situations yeah maybe i'm underrating that offense because that his last year at st andrews he was more than a point per game guy so and that's a, a program yeah. that's produced some talent yeah i think the big thing with him is just that that effect of being on the chicago steel we see it a lot with the london knights as well where the team is just completely loaded like they have four right. or five legitimate defensive prospects on that team so uh, you can kind of get lost in the shuffle when you're number three, four, or five on that list. So it, it's going to be fun to see where he le- ends up and, and eventually how he develops. Uh, finish forward, Vile Koivinen is our, our last guy to talk about. Six foot, 165 pounds he's listed at, uh, which I'm sure he'll physically just uh, the maturity will come for him. But uh, 49 points in 38 games, 23 of them were goals, and he had a 10-point performance at the World U18. So this is a pretty offensive guy. Yeah, this guy is another one of those guys where I don't think anyone's going to necessarily ride home about the pure raw skill that he has, but he's just so incredibly smart. He understands w- w- how to pull guys out of position so he can develop a passing lane. He doesn't necessarily need one to come to him. He creates it himself. Um, there's a lot of times this year he plays on the line a lot of times with Samu Tuomala, who's another 2020 draft prospect, who or 2021 draft prospect, sorry, who's in the first round on most boards. I think Tuomala is considered one of the best snipers in the draft. And Billy Koivinen was the guy that drove play for that line a lot of times. And he doesn't necessarily get the credit because he's not always the guy scoring. But like you mentioned, he had a lot of goals this year. He's, he gets himself in a position. And I think one of the things we've seen with Braden Point this year in the playoffs was, yes, he's not the 
biggest guy, but he scores a lot from in tight because he's able to time that play, swoop in right as the puck's coming free, and score the goal. And I think that's exactly how Billy Koivinen's game kind of plays out as a goal scorer. But I think his playmaking is where he's really going to make his money at the NHL level. I think his ability to find seams, open up seams, and just really exploit little mistakes that defenses make is really what's going to make him special at the next level. And I think he's not going to be a, a center at the next level. I think there's some people that think that because he is such a good playmaker, putting him in the middle works. But I think he's a guy that is really, really good at making plays from the outside and finding guys wherever they are on the ice. And, and I mean, he, he did it a lot of this year with Sam Tuomala, who's not necessarily a guy that's working hard in the corners or anything. So it, it was really impressive to see Koivin and pull off what he did this year and I think there were there are times at the U18s where he was their best player on the ice despite the fact that Tuomala was one of the better forwards at the tournament in general and in Alexi Hemelselmi won the defenseman of the tournament I think Koivinen was really the unsung hero for that team how's his skating his skating's really good he's again he's not a burner by any means but he's agile he's quick he understands the routes he needs to take and I think technically speaking he's a really good skater I don't think it's going to be something that affects him in 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 this kind of the way I I talked about Ayrton Martino right like he doesn't have that necessary top speed where he's going to burn a guy like Fabian Lacell, but he's got enough speed, enough agility. He's good on his feet and well-balanced. He understands how to shift his weight properly, so he can get by a guy just using his footwork rather than using pure speed. Excellent. Tony Ferrari from Dauber Prospects. Dauber Hockey is my guest. Uh, and uh, All right, let's get to the other guy. I asked for six guys you're high on, one guy you like, but probably not as much as uh, the consensus. And if you're an NHL team, this guy gets taken before you're willing to draft them, and that's a good thing because that means somebody you like more is getting uh, pushed down one more spot. The guy we're talking about is number six on your list, and that means obviously you like him. He's a top ten guy. But uh, why isn't Owen Power higher on the list for you? I think my big thing with Owen Power is there, there's a lot of adoration over the fact that he's six foot six every time he steps on the ice. He's 215, 220 every time he steps on the ice. And he's, this class really is lacking that truly elite talent outside of the, the crease where, where Walsh, I think, is that. So I think with, with Owen Power, there's so much hope as to what he could be. And I, I don't disagree with any of these scouts that say he could be this number one or number two defenseman that plays on a top, fair, top pair, plays all these big minutes, kind of eats minutes all the time and is able to play on the penalty kill, able to play on the power play and do a little bit of everything. But I think there's a lot of concern with some of his decision-making, especially in his own zone, is, Uh, One of the terms I've coined this year is kind of panic threshold. And I I think his panic threshold needs to improve a little bit because you see a lot of times where he's going back to recover a four check, especially against a smaller forward, and he gets the puck and then he kind of pins it against the wall and doesn't know what to do with it. And and when you're looking at Owen Power and all the tools he has, you're like, okay, like you shouldn't be doing that. You're an excellent skater. You're an excellent passer. You should be doing these things that you're able to do. And he freezes up at times in, in his own zone. I think, Defending the rush, there's a lot of times where he can be caught leaning. And one of the thought experiments I like doing throughout the year, when I, especially when I'm doing rankings, in, in we're, we're looking at Fabian Liesel versus Owen Power at five and six on my board. And you go, okay, well, what, why did I put Liesel ahead? And I go, well, if you put them in a one-on-one scenario where Liesel is coming down at, at Owen Power defending the play, despite the fact that Owen Power is that six foot six, two fifteen, two twenty defenseman, if Liesel gets an edge on him, gets to the outside, he's able to burn him because. Owen Power does have a, a bit of a lean when he's kind of defending on the rush, and he doesn't have the quickest feet in, in transitioning from forward to backward skating or backward to forward skating. There, there's concerns with the small details of Owen Power's game. I have no concerns with his tools. This kid has the potential to be the best player in this draft. I just think there's about eight guys in this draft that realistically have that potential. And Owen Power on my board.
board kind of gets bumped down because you see some of the tools he has and, and you go, why aren't you using those more? Because when he's skating in a straight line, when he's rushing that puck up the ice, it's one of the most impressive things. If you can isolate that neutral zone play, that's outstanding. But again, with the puck, when he's rushing up the ice, a lot of times he does what I call it the Kasperi captain effect where you're rushing up the ice, you get into the zone with, with ease, you're, you're dangling around guys. And then you find yourself in the corner and you're like, what do I do now? And Owen power has a lot of that to his game. So I think with Owen power, it's more of let this kid develop in Michigan. I know there's been talk about him going back to Michigan. He said he'd like to as well. And even if he gets drafted first overall, I, I'm, I've been preaching all year. If you can leave this kid in Michigan for one more season, even two more seasons, I think this kid could come out and just be an absolute monster, be the player that everyone thinks he could be. If you, if you end up rushing him to the NHL, I think there's a real concern that he tops out as a guy who's like Tyler Myers, who, again, is a good defenseman. I don't think Tyler Myers is a bad defenseman. He gets a lot of flack and stuff. But if he wasn't on that contract, he wasn't asked to play the minutes he's asked to play, there's probably a lot more favorable opinion of what Tyler Myers is. And I think Owen Power, at worst-case scenario, kind of ends up like that. But – I think there's potential for this kid to be way, way better than that. I think he could be a top pair defenseman. And as much as I, I've been lower on him all year than, than the consensus, I, I still do think he's a very, very good player. Well, it's a ballsy choice to, to put him on uh, on that uh, list, uh, but uh, you, you defended it very well. Uh, so I, I appreciate that and uh, all the information on the rest of the guys as well. Tony, where do people get uh, the, the list from Dauber Hockey, but also your personal list? Uh, you can find both my list and Dauber, the Dauber Prospect scouting team's list on DauberProspect.com. Uh, I've tweeted them both out a bunch of times. My personal list is pinned to my uh, Twitter profile at the Tony Ferrari, spelled just like the car. But uh, yeah, definitely check out Dauber Prospects, all the work they've done all year. Uh, the entire team has been great. So definitely check out the scouting team's list because let's be honest, they're probably a lot more accurate than I am. And I give them a ton of credit for all the help they've had with me for, throughout the year. Fantastic. Tony, I appreciate your time, man. Enjoy the summer and um, maybe we'll see you at the World Junior or something. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Loggy. Okay, there's Tony Ferrari representing Dauber Prospects, Dauber Hockey. And uh, what I found interesting here, and the listeners won't know this, is originally, let's start with this. Great list from uh, from Tony appreciate the insight on uh, some of the guys that we hadn't uh, talked a whole lot about this year, guys like Jack Barr and uh, Ville Koivinen. Now, what I was going to say was the, the audience doesn't know this, but Tony also had Scott Morrow on his list. Now, before Tony came out, you've already heard from three different scouts. All of them had Scott Morrow on their list. Two of them were on the, nah, I'm okay not drafting him, and uh, the other had him as a personal favorite. Tony also has him as a personal favorite. But when I mentioned that to Tony that, you know, everybody's talking about Scott Morrow, we decided we were going to substitute somebody else in there. That's where Jesper Wallstead came in because I said, what about him? Because you're very, very high on him. So that's why we went with Wallstead. But I thought it was worth pointing out that four scouts into the show, two of them have him on their personal favorites list and two of them have them on, yeah, yeah, I'm okay not uh, selecting him. So that is very interesting stuff. We have one more guy to get to this week. Uh, he does not mention Scott Morrow, but it is Mitch Brown from Elite Prospects, and there are some uh, really interesting guys that he likes to talk about. That's next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Adam Fantilli spins a pass, though. Samuskevich up high, scores! The Stingray in overtime, up high! Pierce is won by Corpy and Chicago wins a thriller. Four to three, Mackie Samoskevich, welcome back, Stingray. Hey, this is Mackie Samoskevich from the Chicago Steel, and this is the Pipeline Show. 
Troubled Monk Brew of the Week has a lot of character, but tell us about it. The Pesky Pig Pale Ale. Named after the little piggy that never went to the market, this super approachable pale ale has all kinds of citrus flavors, including huge grapefruit notes. Player comparable, Matthew Kachuk. Always in the mix, and no matter what, you'd rather him on your team. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at troubledmonk.com. That's Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I know that, dude. Final segment to go on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show as we look ahead to the upcoming NHL Draft. Of course, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in all of Alberta, only available in Leduc and Spruce Grove. But if you're in Western Canada, you can contact them and they will ship it to you. Uh, my next guest, uh, I'm not sure. Are you a big beef jerky uh, fan, Mitch? Not really, but I think for this segment, I have to be, no? Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of uh, obligatory, yep. All right, so I'm going to go to the store tomorrow and pick some up. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Mitch Brown is my guest. He's with Elite Prospects, and we're going to chat about some of uh, the favorites. I don't know, are these your personal favorites, or are you representing Elite here and giving us some guys uh, that might be higher on your list than everybody else? A little bit of both. I think I have three or four guys who are my own personal favorites, and then Two others are guys who we went a little bit above consensus as a team. All right, fantastic. Uh, and uh, looking forward to some of these names because they're not names that have been talked about a whole lot, and that's what I was hoping to get out of these conversations. So uh, perfect uh, setup here. Uh, and let's start with a guy out of the, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, but he's got a, a, an Alberta connection, and that's Zach Dean, who uh, plays for the Gatineau Olympique. Uh, and I tried like the Dickens to, uh, boy, that's an old-timey phrase, tried like the Dickens. I tried really hard to get Zach Dean on the show here before uh, the draft, but it just fell through at the end. Uh, tell me what you like about Zach Dean. Well, the exciting part about his game is the projection. It's not what he is right now, because right now he's a sometimes unspectacular QMJHL player, but it's about what he could be. Mm. His potential to add new skills is really high because he's such a strong skater. He's such a strong handler. He already knows that if you want to gain the inside of the ice, you got to fake one way, and then you can go the other after the defender moves their feet. He's very good at linking different things together as well. So, like, he can take a pass, knock it between his own legs, and then turn that into a one-touch backhand pass into the slot for his teammate. He's a really strong give-and-go player as well. There's just a ton of potential here that really makes us think that if it all goes well, he could be a top-six guy. But if not, he does have these hard skills and the defensive impact to fall, to fall back on where when you look at the way that he plays, how physical he can be in tight, how he can open up space on the defensive end by constant support, the way that he communicates, the way that he's always an option. If he, he's pretty much, if you're looking at this draft class, he's pretty much a, a great bet to play and a good chance of becoming a top six guy. So that's why we ended up having him at 15. Yeah, 15, it's higher than most people do. There are a, f a few that think he's a, a potential first-rounder as well, but you guys have him higher, I think, than uh, than anybody else. Um, and, of course, all the rankings for Elite, you go to Elite Prospects, I'm sure everybody's familiar with the site by now, but each player has their individual page. And you guys list where uh, not just Elite Prospects have these guys ranked, uh, but uh, several outlets, which is really convenient for, for guys like me, for sure. Uh, and uh, premium subscribers can get your entire list and a lot of tons, just tons of uh, draft uh, content. Yeah, so for $10 a month, 
uh, we released our draft guide, and so you just have to pay it once. You can cancel it if you want to, but if you want to stick around, you can read all of our breakdowns. But we just finished our draft guide, 200 players, over 1,000 pages, wow. analysis, statistics, breakdowns, quotes, everything you need to know about these players. All right, fantastic. I, I jumped uh, around a little bit, getting back to uh, to Zach Dean. Is, is there one aspect of his game that kind of is head and shoulders his strongest trait, in your opinion? Yeah, for me, it's the way that he's able to link those things together, as I explained. So the way that he can take the puck in motion and then make the next play in motion, how he just executes everything at such a high pace. Hmm. And as he gets more and more comfortable, the game is going to slow down for him, and he's going to be able to find even better and more dangerous plays. Sort of an average size guy. What's his skating like? The skating is one of the strongest parts of his game. Nice. Uh, he does lack a little bit of refinement skill uh, skating-wise, but he's got great posture, knees pushed over his toes, he engages his hips, and he can absolutely rip up and down the ice. Fantastic. That's Zach Dean. Uh, next guy on the list is, is a player that I had on uh, fairly recently. That's Mackie Samuskevich with the Chicago Steel. Uh, great personality. Really enjoyed the conversation with him. Didn't personally get to watch a, a lot of Chicago Steel games this year uh, until the playoffs, but... What sort of impression uh, did he leave on you and uh, everybody else at Elite? Well, it's his skill level. He might be, in terms of just hand skills, one of the very best, if not the best, in the draft class. His mechanics to handle the puck are perfect. So when you look at these guys, you want to see the top hand out in front of their body rather than tucked to their side because it gives them more range of control. Hmm. If a defender leans on them, they can absorb contact and still handle the puck. And from there, he just has these incredible... A quick pitch wrist that just kind of allow him to just beat everyone on the ice. And he's not just deking through sticks and state as uh, sticks and skates. He's shifting his weight in one direction, getting them to move and then going back the other way. He's moving the puck quickly to his teammates and getting it back. So all of this stuff is really projectable for the most part. And of course he's a very inside lane driven guy. He wants to bring the puck to the net. He doesn't, he's not afraid of using contact to, to get into the middle. And then from there, he's more of a playmaker than a shooter, although I think he has really, really improved his shot, particularly the way that he can curl that puck around a defender's stick and then shoot it all in one motion. But as a passer, it's just all from the way that he can manipulate defenders. He can handle the puck, move it in one direction, get the defenseman to reach, and then pass it back against the grain, and he can do that at a high pace. For him, it really comes down to how he can improve his ability to protect the puck along the boards. If you want to be a skilled guy in the NHL, you have to find a way to limit your time in those tough areas and get it out into the middle. Mm -hmm. And he has some difficulty now. He's not an amazing skater. He has some posture difficulty, so he can't really leverage guys like other player, other high-skilled players can. So for him, it's all about figuring out how to protect that puck, how to drag it into the middle, and make the most of his skills. I know for a casual fan, they might look at that that uh, team in Chicago with the steel and just they're so offensive, and they, it seems like everybody on that team has big points. How do you figure out if a lot of it is, you know, he's creating on his own or if it's benefactor of playing with some other guys? And is he just getting points by osmosis or would he be able to have this sort of effect on uh, other teams that aren't as stacked? Yeah, and that's the great question with any Chicago Steel player, right? Yeah. Especially just because of the skill that they have on that team. You know, sometimes guys slip through the cracks, other times they're propped up by the situation. And I think. Samuel Skevich is actually a guy who's a bit limited by the situation because he wants to play, make, he wants to defer, but everyone also has the, has the green light to be creative and do those things. And so he maybe doesn't get the puck as much as some of his more 
some of the similarly talented, similarly high-profile line mates and teammates. And so in a situation where he has the puck a little bit more, he can be more of a play driver, which is like how we're going to see at the next level. You know, he, in a couple years' time, depending on who leaves and when they leave, he might be the guy on that Michigan team. Mm. And so then he's going to be a lot more involved in the play, and the production is probably going to reflect that. Great point. Uh, Mitch Brown from Elite Prospects is my guest uh, as we uh, talk about some of the higher higher profile guys of eligible for the draft uh, and some personal favorites of uh, of Mitch's and for the crew over at Elite Prospects. Uh, and this guy, when you uh, sent me the list of players you wanted to chat about, when I saw the name Kyle Masters, I was excited because it's it's a guy I, I know him because he's close in Red Deer with the Rebels, but I don't know him because he was so banged up and this year was tough to get viewings uh, in person. So I, I'm interested. Why is Kyle Masters on your list of, of personal favorites? And you have him really high. Yeah, I've been a Masters fan for a couple of years now. There are these glimpses of ability with the puck that match the top of the draft class, like like the Brand Clarks and even Owen Power, the activation, the way that he freezes four checkers and then explodes past them, or how deceptive he can be with the puck. But the flashes were so infrequent, to put it nicely. And I think later in the season, we really saw it coming together. Like he played like a first rounder. I have to give a shout out to one of my colleagues, David St. Louis here, who I was a big fan of Masters. He did some cross-checking and he came away saying, this guy is a first rounder because he watched the end of season games and what he was doing was just so consistent. It stood out so much and he looked like a high profile guy. However, it was only for a few games. And so if this were a full season, we'd have a lot more answers about, you know, the end, whether the end of season play was sustainable or legitimate. But I think for the most part, given that we do have him ranked 38, we felt that it was. And a large part of that isn't just the skill that he shows, it's his defensive engagement, the physicality. He closes his gaps early and he wants to be a difference maker. Like he really punishes the opposition in one-on-one situations. And then he immediately switches into finesse mode when he gets the puck. It's a really, really rare combination. It's hard to find. And when you're looking at it from a a role in the NHL perspective, that D-zone engagement should endear him to coaches as he continues to develop his game with the puck. So, again, it's a similar thing to Dean where we're thinking, okay, the floor on this kid is pretty high and the ceiling is high too. So maybe even if he doesn't get to the – to the upside part of it, he's still going to be an effective NHL player for a long time to come. Well, he's a first-round pick in, in his uh, Bantam draft year. Again, just he only got into 24 games in his uh, rookie season, and that made it challenging. So I wonder what that, you know, a small sample size, how challenging is that uh, for a scout? I mean, I, I, you guys have access to all the videos and stuff, so I imagine you're going through as much of that as, as possible, but it's got to be a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. There's just so much uncertainty with it, right? Because you don't know how much of this were, how much of these were just flashes. Like a great example of this is Noah Dory, who plays for the Kelowna Rockets. He had one of the best individual performances I saw all season, but I think he only has 21 games total in the WHL. Mm. And so you get into this very interesting question of how much do you weigh these moments, these games, these 20 minutes versus the rest of the sample. But then when the rest of the sample isn't even that big, then you're stuck in a situation of, okay, maybe the player has progressed a lot. And I think when we looked at Masters, that was it. It was the tools were there, even last year. And then this year, towards the end of the season, they became consistent impact. He's on an upward trajectory. And so that makes it a lot easier to put Kyle Masters in a spot like 38th. 
Well, and he's listed at six foot and 170, 100, let's say 175 pounds uh, on the, his uh, page at Elite Prospects. And you mentioned he's he's kind of a, a two-way guy and that he can play that that physical game, but he's also a, a finesse player as well. Yeah, he he's pretty complete in in what he brings uh, on both ends of the rink. And again, the flashes of what he can be on both sides are high-end stuff, like nice. like number three defenseman caliber. Wow, that's really interesting. I'm, now I'm really, really curious to see what happens uh, for him uh, on draft weekend. Uh, next guy up is Ty Voigt, who uh, one of those OHL guys who uh, didn't get to play at all this year and had a good rookie season, 28 points in 49 games, but uh, was one of those players that was on the ice in Erie. I don't know if uh, you guys had access to any of that and, and uh, if that helped you assess what you like and what you don't about Ty Voigt. Well, the difficulty with that invitational tournament was that the quality of play wasn't particularly high, which is understandable given the situation, but we ended up not putting too much weight into it. Okay. Uh, but the interesting background of this is that coming into the season, we actually had ranked Voight as a first rounder. Mm. And so the uncertainty of him of him not playing in a competitive situation, of course, decreased that. And there were some people who weren't particularly hot on him anyway to begin with. If I had my say, he would be in the 30s or 40s because his his pace, his ability to manipulate defenders just stands out so much. He constantly gets defenders moving the wrong direction. And it's not just like individual skill either. The playmaking, the give-and-go ability are both there just waiting to be tapped into as he matures. Uh, it, it, everything that he does with the puck really, really stands out. The difficulty is what does he do without it, and how will he be able to protect the puck at the next level? He's a good skater, probably not a great skater. Uh, there's a major lack of strength and a you know puck protection mechanics, so it's awareness of pressure. If you have a guy on your back, you don't turn back into that player. You try to drive. You try to get to the net. If you have a player in front of you, you try to stop up, and you try to flip that pressure and get it on your back, so then you can be in a position to bring the puck to the middle. And right now, he can't do that. Although maybe he can do it, but because we didn't have a, a sample of competitive hockey, we don't know. And so that's the great difficulty with projecting Ty Voigt and many of these OHL players. Yeah, so you have him at 71. Uh, Elite Prospects has him at 71. You personally would have him in the 30s. So if you're an NHL team and you're heading up their, their uh, drafting department, if he's there at the end of the second round or early third round, you're jumping all over him. Is that right? Absolutely. I think players with his skill level might come with some uncertainty, especially given his situation. Yeah. But if you have a strong development staff and you believe that you can help fix his puck protection and his skating flaws and whatever, you have to take a guy like that. Like he has, he has some top six skill elements. Terrific. All right, let's go to Jeremy Hansel, who's a defenseman with the Seattle Thunderbirds. Obviously, we don't get to see them in Alberta very often, and uh, obviously they didn't come at all this year, but. 23 games as a rookie in the dub this year, eight points along the way. Uh, what can you tell me about him? Because uh, he's completely off my radar. Yeah, I hadn't heard of him coming into the season either. And then when I watched the first game, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a fan of him moving forward. Uh, there are some, I guess, legitimate concerns, the lack of skating refinement, the inconsistent defense, the uh, non-existent shot, for example. But a lot of these can be attributed to his situation. He was playing a BC U18 AAA last year. Mm -hmm. So he's very much off the radar and as such, you can understand that he doesn't have all these sort of um, details down into his game. 
And the vision and the playmaking potential are just so, so impressive. He's always activated into the rush. He's a really strong give-and-go player. Like, there were a couple highlights that he had this year where he would pass the puck, skate up the ice, get it back, pass it to another teammate, get it back, and then finish off the play or set up another teammate. So he gives some really projectable, high-level details. And from the and from the point in the offensive zone, he's not taking point shots. He's not just passing the puck down to the cycle. He's trying to create. He's trying to activate. He wants to be an offensive driver. And that's just such an important element for projecting these guys, even if he doesn't have that mentality in the NHL. The fact that that skill is in there shows that he has the puck skills to play in the NHL and be able to make NHL level play or be able to make NHL plays at NHL pace. And of course that he's doing this in the WHL after playing triple a hockey last year is just so impressive. All right. So here's the guy who doesn't get drafted in the WHL at all. He's listed by Seattle. So he's really sort of an unknown quantity coming into this year. And as you mentioned, it's, you know, a small sample size and don't really know what to make him. You said he's really raw. You have him 68. Like, wouldn't that be more of a fifth round kind of guy where you're kind of gambling? You just, the little bit you saw from him, you think he's worth that big of a gamble? Absolutely. His playmaking is top 10 amongst defensemen in the draft class. So value-wise, you, you can add the defensive skating. You can add the gap control. But his vision, the way that he gets involved in the play constantly it's just such a, a valuable trait in today's NHL. Players with love Jeremy Handel's ilk are only going to become more and more valuable over the years. And I think there's a great opportunity here for a team to maybe pick him in the fifth, sixth round and get an NHL out of it in four or five years' time. I love it. I love getting the info on guys I know, I, I know very, very little of. So I appreciate you uh, uh, filling us in on him. Uh, next guy is Jackson Blake. Uh, who uh, I, there's part of me that seems to make me think that the Oil Kings listed him at some point, but I could be wrong on that. But uh, he is a guy who played in the USHL and high school this year, Chicago Steel again, and uh, also at Eden Prairie, going to North Dakota. And, uh, well, every, I think everybody knows his father, but tell me about uh, Jackson Blake. First thing that is just very exciting about this kid is how good he was in the USHL for a high school player. Most of the time when high school players make that step to the USHL, they rely on open ice play. And so at these lower levels, the kids who do that can dominate. But when they get to an area where the level where space evaporates, their impact goes away too. Blake is way better in tight than he is in open ice. So he's not going to suffer that fate. Just the, the small little area passes that he makes, he pulls the puck into his feet and passes around a defender's stick the quick one-touch passes that he makes even off the backhand. And he has a, a nasty curl-and-drag wrist shot that he's going to continue to develop as he gets stronger and he improves his skating. And then he also has legit goal-scoring instincts. He's always moving. He makes these very impressive timed movements into areas. So he, he gets in there, and then immediately the puck is on his stick, banged in the back of the net. He's very slight, and he's hardly anything on the defensive end. And maybe he doesn't have the elite motor to help offset his strength disadvantage, like, say, another another notable prospect like Trevor Wong, for example. Mm -hmm. But I'm convinced that he has top nine skill. Now, you, you mentioned he's not big. 5'10", 148 pounds, according to uh, his prospect page at Elite, or his profile page at Elite. Uh, I don't remember Jason Blake, his dad, being uh, uh, an undersized player. So there's potentially room for some growth here, too. Yeah, absolutely. And with players of 
who have the small area skills as well, you expect that they can add a, a physical component to it as they, because, you know, they're already in those areas. They already understand how to use pressure and how to use defenders to their advantage. All right. So he's going to North Dakota, but the, it looks like he might be back in Chicago next year. I don't know if you know that for sure one way or the other. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure on that, but I think the right way for him to go is, is back to Chicago, be a go-to offensive option, be a play driver, get a little bit stronger. Yeah. And then he can go have some fun in NCAA hockey and probably become a, a top scorer in that league in a year or two. 17 points in the in the 25 regular season games. Just one, it was a goal, but one point in eight playoff games for this deal. Is that I'm guessing that probably has more to do with where he is on the on the depth chart. And we talked about how loaded Chicago is. They had lots of options, and maybe the the new kid wasn't getting all the primary ice time. Yeah, he was. He was kind of on the on the third and fourth line for that. But that one goal, if I remember correctly, was the championship winning goal. And he had previously, earlier that year, scored the state championship winning goal. Uh-huh. So he scores big ones. He's clutch. He's Mr. Clutch. All right. Okay, uh, Mitch, I, I asked everybody for six guys that they think uh, they have uh, ranked higher than the consensus and one on the opposite side of that. And uh, the name you gave me, and that's not to say that you don't like him because of the elite prospects, uh, Chaz Lucius is still ranked in the first round, right in the middle, 17th overall. Um, so it's not like you don't like the player, but I think it's fair to say that a lot of people like him more than that. So uh, what leaves you wanting more when it comes to Chaz Lucius? So I don't want to take anything away from the season that he did have scoring 13 goals in 13 games after coming back from knee surgery and that significant recovery period that he had is very impressive. I wasn't expecting significant growth in his game. However, upon further inspection, I think there were a few things that before, uh, I guess coming into the season, I didn't previously see in his game. So the first thing is his over-reliance on his hands. So he always wants to beat a guy one-on-one and then create his own shot. And that's just not a a projectable thing for a lot of these players, especially someone who does have the skating issues that Chaz does. And that's not to say that he can't beat players and have some fun and add to his highlight reel, but it's become such a, he's so dependent on it now that it it is a little bit concerning going forward. And then the second part of the projection issues are funny enough, the goal scoring ability. So I really like, what he does as a goal scorer he, he's a quintessential late to the play guy so the back checkers they see lucius and even though he scores every game they just don't think anything of it because he's just kind of gliding around hanging out and then suddenly he pops into a pocket of space with perfect timing taps the puck in however when you look at goal scorers in the nhl it's not just about being a, a guy who can sneak away in transition It's about leveraging contact. So when you're in front of the net, you want to see players push off with perfect timing as a pass or a point shot comes in. And Chaz Lucius doesn't really do that. And it's the same thing with some of the other off-puck elements of his game. There's an idea of playing between checks or playing between defenders. You want to find space in the slot. You don't have to and you don't want to engage. You can play between defenders. So when you get the puck, a bunch of defenders are confused as to who who's assignment that you are, and you have a little bit of time and space to get the puck off and fire it. And again, he doesn't really do that because he's always staying on the far post waiting for the tap and opportunity. And so, of course, he has the shot. He clearly has some goal-scoring instincts. He clearly has a ton of skill. It's just a matter of can he develop those additional off-puck instincts to be able to score those goals in the NHL. 
and probably a good spot for him to be going at the University of Minnesota. Bob Motzko, an excellent coach. Uh, and maybe because, you know, this was a, a COVID and injury shortened season for him, and last year was a COVID shortened season, maybe we should expect a guy like this to spend two, maybe three years even at Minnesota as opposed to, you know, one and done or two and done. And he'd benefit from that extra development time just because of he's still raw and he's missed some time. Absolutely, yeah. And the great part about going to a Moscow team is that these are teams that love to move the puck east-west. They love to create high-danger chances. They love to make the goaltender move. And a guy like Lucius is probably going to thrive in that environment. And he's also going to learn a lot about how to score goals at the NHL level as a result. Uh, he is a centerman. Is there a, you know, a, a thumb up or a thumb down on his face-off abilities? Is he strong in that aspect? I, I would consider it neutral at this point. And, and on the defensive end overall, he's probably an average player. Okay. It's not the motor is inconsistent. The reads are inconsistent. I would think that he probably ends up on the wing at the next level at this stage. Of course, it can change. All right. Well, Mitch, listen, that was outstanding stuff. Uh, the information you provide always uh, really valuable. Uh, and I always go back and listen to the uh, when you've been on the show in the past because uh, it's so uh, in-depth that sometimes I have to listen to it two or three times. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing this one back again and having you on in the near future as well. I hope I got, uh, you don't mind if I give you a call again. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It's always a blast coming on anytime. Thank you very much. Elite Prospects does such a great job. Again, EliteProspects.com for all the information. Sign up for the premium package, and uh, it's uh, well worth your time to do so. Mitch, I appreciate your time, man. Thanks. Have a good summer. We'll talk to you again. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Take care. Here's Mitch Brown from Elite Prospects. And, you know, every once in a while I I get a brain cramp. And when he was talking about um, Jackson Blake, and, uh, you know, son of a former NHLer and Jason Blake. Even though we said Jason Blake, in my head, I'm picturing Rob Blake. Uh, it totally just threw me. Um, but no, Jason Blake is uh, the father of uh, Jackson Blake, which is what we said, but not the uh, Hall of Fame defenseman. Anyway, great stuff there from uh, from Mitch and uh, the folks over at Elite do such a terrific job. That is uh, an invaluable resource uh, for for hockey fans in general, but especially, I think, if you're a prospect guy like I am. Now, some of the guys he talked about, Zach Dean, not the first guy to mention Zach Dean on this week's episode, right? So there's a guy maybe flying under the radar for a lot of casual fans, but getting some buzz here as we get closer. But how how about the, the, the two segments specifically about uh, Kyle Masters from the Red Deer Rebels and uh, Jeremy Hansel as well. Very, very interesting. Both of those players, defensemen out of the Western Hockey League, who are... Probably off the radar, not just for me, which makes me feel better. But uh, the way he talks about them, man, they shouldn't be. So potential steals there for whoever gets them. And uh, the information on Ty Voigt. Uh, that, was a, that was a great segment. A terrific job by Mitch. He is the final guest for this week's show. All five of uh, the scouts that joined me, courtesy of the Troubled Monk Hotline. Big shout out and big thank you to them. Go out and uh, check out their draft coverage and their previews and uh, subscribe to their uh, guides and things like that, their rankings, as they all have really valuable input into the conversation. It is cleanup time here on the Pipeline Show, though, so quick reminder to get your bidet from hellotushy.com slash pipeline. Automatic 10% off for putting the pipeline part of that into your uh, browser. It's funny because I was over at my brother-in-law's place. He's got one, and my other brother-in-law, he's got one as well. And we all talked about it jokingly. It's like when you go to somebody's place who doesn't have a bidet, it's really weird now. It's like you're kind of taking a step backward. So do yourself a favor. Upgrade your house. Get a bidet from uh, hellotushy.com slash pipeline. 
Stop wiping, start washing your butt. It pays for itself just in how much toilet paper you're going to save over the first uh, two or three months. It's, uh, it's, it's quite remarkable. Next week on the program, more of the same. I got five more scouts. That's the plan, at least, is to get five more scouts on the show. Six guys they like more than everybody else, and one guy that they don't like as much as everybody else. That's the plan. And uh, then after that, we've got the NHL draft, a recap after the draft, and then it's uh, holiday time for me, the end of Season 16, and we will start Season 17 in the, uh, I think it's the second week of August. But uh, lots to get to before then. And we get right back at it next week. I hope you'll be back. Big shout out to all the patrons at Patreon.com, the returning listeners as well. And if you're a newcomer, I hope you enjoyed this show and that you'll be back for more. Until next week, everybody. My name is Guy Flaming. This has been the Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. See ya. See ya.